Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, everybody. It is a brisk March, spring, Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley. The crocuses are breaking through the ground. The robins are headed up from the south, and I get to talk baseball and other things for the next three hours with my pal, Jody Mack. Jody, how you doing today? I wouldn't know a crocus if it bit me. Yeah, you would. That's the, the little purple things that are on everybody's yard. They come out in the spring. You know a crocus. They don't have yeah, crocuses no, in South no Jersey? I, no idea. Okay. They're the first flowers that come out, and they kind of grow I wild. thought that was the noise a frog made, a crocus. <laughs> okay. Anyway, nice to talk to you this morning. Uh, How are you, buddy? Uh, hey, uh, I got to tell you, I'm still uh, recovering from the defeat I took last night. <laughs> After I was going to la- bring that up later, but go After ahead. last night's Sixers <laughs> game, I have NBC Sports Philly on. I'm on the air till 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and here we are, Glenn Macnow, Jody McDonald, what's brewing? And I couldn't pick out Budweiser out of our five uh, testing taste. <laughs> and I just, I uh, first of all, I'm a little red to begin with. Uh, but I was even more red last night. Yeah. That, was, that was embarrassing. It was fun. Yeah, it was Had fun. a great time, but it was embarrassing as all get out. Yeah, so Jody was my guest host on uh, the TV show that I do on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia called What's Brewing, which is all about beer. And we did a blind taste test, joined by Boxcar Hospital, who was a lot of fun too, uh, of five kind of top-selling lagers, one of them being Budweiser. And in the blind taste test, uh, we all voted, and you picked, and the group picked Pabst Blue Ribbon. PBR. So yes. maybe you've just time to change your ways. Uh, not happening. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a loyal King of Beers guy, but I was pretty uh, damn disappointed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently not. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me on oh, the show. Thanks for joining me. And that, that does run several times during the week. I'll see if I can find out before we go uh, off today what time, what days and times it repeats. And you're also my guest on it next Friday night, which will be fun as well. So, yes, thank you for being a, a guest on that. It was, it was a blast. All right. Um, I do want to talk a lot of baseball today. The Phillies open the season Thursday against arch-rival Texas Rangers, whatever. <laughs> we have a couple of good baseball guests today. Tyler Kepner, uh, national baseball writer for the New York Times, and a local guy uh, is going to join us. Tom McCarthy is going to join us. Tom, of course, also calling NCAA later today, so we'll get that from him. Um, but I want to open, Jody, with something I, I haven't done in a while. I used to do this a lot with Ray. Five questions for Jody, kind of all quick hits. I'm hoping we can get these five questions in the next 15 minutes as okay. I run some issues by you, get your opinion, and then this should spur people to call about these various topics. So let's start with number one, which is a big deal, I think. The Phillies and Aaron Nola decided yesterday to break off contract talks. Till the season is over, which means he's likely to test free agency. It's a little ominous to me, Jody, mostly because the Phillies are usually able to get these things done by this time. So here's my question for you. 
We don't know exactly what NOLA is asking for, what the team is offering, but I looked that up this morning. The top 10 highest-paid pitchers in baseball range from Zach Wheeler at 10, at $24.5 million, up to 38-year-old Max Scherzer of the Mets making $43 million. The average of those 10 is right around $30 million. Would general manager Joseph Anthony Aloysius McDonald Jr. give Aaron Nola a five-year, $150 million contract? Well, that's probably why they tabled the conversation at this point. The Phillies are probably trying to hold in that Zach Wheeler range, which you said was the 10th highest contract at uh, right around 25. And I'm sure Aaron Nola is asking for top of the market in excess of $30 million. So you've got a pretty big range there, about $5 million per. It's not a, 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 a cavernous divide, but it's big enough that they couldn't get it done. I, I would love to see them continue talking. Now, if the players shut it down, if Aaron Nolan says, listen, I don't want to talk about contracts in the middle of the season. We couldn't get it done in spring. We'll pick it up soon as the season ends. Okay, fine. You can't force someone to the table, but I would like to continue the conversation if that's doable. I'd like to be closer to 25 if I'm Dave Dombrowski than 30, but that's the going rate. You did your math correctly. It's going to be more than 25. The question is how much, and does it get as high as 30? If he's looking at the top 30, and there's no bigger Aaron Nola fan in town than me. I argue all the time he is an ace. The Phillies are lucky enough to have two aces. He's not a number two. He's a legit ace. But I don't know that he's worth more than $30 million. So we, we have a legitimate disagreement on the player's value. If you wait till the end of the season and go one of two ways, up or down, if it goes down, gets the signing easier, but then do you want to do it? If it goes up, you uh, hit yourself in the back of the head. Why didn't I get this done ahead of time? It's unfortunate that they didn't get it done because it sounded to me like both sides really wanted to. They just couldn't agree on the figure. Yeah, and they usually do. I mean, I can't think of a lot of players the Phillies wanted to keep who have left. They've signed guys who they want. So this, this does cause me some pause. And I wonder if the issue is is less the money, and I know it's it does sound weird. Five million in this situation is it's you know is John Middleton's cigar money as it is years, right? The Phillies say, like, hey, we want to give you four years, uh, thirty million apiece, and Nola's people say, ah, we want six years, and maybe that's where the difference lies. But I, I it doesn't seem good news four days before the start of the season. Might All be, right. but the, some of those numbers you threw at me. Uh, uh, very few of them were getting six-year deals. I think five's got to be the number. I, I would I would max out at five if I were the Phillies uh, as well. I don't disagree. Uh, number two, the Sixers lose again last night, blown out by the Suns in, in a no-energy game in which basically only Tyrese Maxey seemed to show up. Well, Embiid scored 28, but he – I watched them. He just looked tired second game yep. back-to-back. Uh, they play again and again on the road tomorrow. Uh, James Harden has not played these games. So, Embiid is healthy for now. He's tired. You're, you're hoping it doesn't go into the playoffs. And, you know, last year was the finger. One year he broke broke his face, right? I think that was Markel Fultz. Here's my question. They are now two games behind the Celtics for second place with eight to play. Uh, not impossible. They do play the Celtics uh, next week. At this point, Judy McDonald, if you are the 76ers, are you pushing for that number two seed? Are you trying as hard as you can every game so that you can catch the Celtics, get home court advantage should you play them in the second round? 
or is your priority, you know what, I think we just got to keep everybody healthy for the postseason. James Harden, take another week off. Joel, you'll play every other game at this point. Let's just make sure everybody's healthy. What's the priority? Here's the reason why the priority is somewhat dictated by where you sit as of right now. Even if they beat the Celtics next week in their final game during the regular season against each other, the Sixers have already lost the season series. So the tiebreaker is season series. Even if you win that game and in a tie, the Celtics are going to get the number ah, two seed anyway. Okay. So you need to get a game ahead of them so they're not really three games back, two games back, they're really three games back with eight to play. That's a pretty uh, tough task to, for them to be able to get over. If the question is, do you just – if there's any question about Harden and whether he should play or not, do you err on the side of caution? For me, the answer is yes. Because you saw it last night. If you watched last night's game, yeah, they're just not the same. Maxie's a hell of a player, but he's not a facilitator. He's not a, a true point guard. He's not a guy who's going to run the offense. A lot of times last night they seem to be getting into their offense way too late in the shot clock because he's just not as good and as skilled at it as Harden is. Yeah, without Harden being able to play, uh, the Sixers can probably beat anybody they catch in the first round. But that second-round matchup against either Boston and or Milwaukee, if you don't have Harden at the top of the game, you're not winning anyway. So what's the what's the purpose? That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about the, uh, the tiebreaker, and you're right. They do not have that tiebreaker, so that's a big deal. All right, Jody, let's move on to question number three as we switch topics. And uh, I think, like everybody, I have just completely shredded up and thrown away my NCAA brackets pool. I got nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing <laughs> left at all. Uh, none of my final four teams at this point. So can we root for, can a team from Del Boca Vista, uh, which, by the way, I used to live down there. Florida Atlantic is a commuter school on Glade Road that, that basically plays in a high school gym. And then when I lived down there, it was a long time when I lived down there, but tickets were like a dollar a game. Uh, a team that has never won a single tournament game before this year is now going to the Final Four. That's talking about one shining moment. Can a team from Delray Beach, Florida, from I don't even know what conference they're in, win the NCAA tournament? Uh, answers yes. Can they? Because there, there's no boogeyman left. There, there's no big monster team left. Uh, the only team I have left of my Final Four is Texas, and they play this afternoon. So uh, if that's saving grace for my god-awful bracket, I guess I should uh, root for it to be able to say, hey, I had one. If they win the whole thing and they were in my championship game, that's that's not terrible, but I'm not winning my bracket. Sure, they are the biggest underdog of underdogs, but the other at least rooting interest I have here is uh, I've had Danny Hurley, the UConn coach, on my mm. show several times over the years. Uh, I've had his father on my show. It's his uh, famous uh, high school coaching father, yeah. one of the best in the country. Um, I've even had uh, Bobby Hurley on, and we talked as much horse racing. At one point when he left the yeah. NBA, he was thinking about getting into horse racing ownership before he got back into coaching. So I know the Hurley family well, and Danny's done a hell of a job. They They have crushed all four opponents that they've played so far, including a blowout of Gonzaga yesterday. If you just ask me today, right now, Jody, pick the winner of the NCAA tournament. You're right. You win whatever prize you're offering me. Yeah, I'd probably take UConn right now. They, they've mm -hmm. looked the best of all the teams to me. I wonder if anybody has two teams left in their Final Four. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they did this thing. I got one, minute. and I'm not in the Final Four yet. Texas got a win today yeah, to no, get to I the know. Final Four. Know, so I'm, I'm not even to the Final Four yet. So yeah, I got nobody alive. I, I, like, I'm, I'm so far gone. It's I, I haven't even looked at it in the last couple of days. I just tossed it away. Um, yeah, I, I remember after the first day of the tournament, it was, I think it was ESPN has, you know, 60 million people. I'm pulling a number out of the air, but something like that in their pool, and there were seven who had a perfect bracket <laughs> after one day. And that was before Princeton won twice. So nobody's, right. nobody's got a perfect bracket. Nobody's, I can't imagine everybody's doing well. Well, but you know who bragged last night? And I heard this. Stan Van Gundy, who they're using on the TV broadcast. He's good. I like Stan as an announcer. He's a little bit of a nut as a coach. But he was bragging last night on TV that he had the Elite Eight. He had all eight teams. No. In the, that's what he said on TV. I heard him say oh, it last night, oh, Mac, man. wow. Eight for eight. Stan wish Van Gundy. Over, look, I wish I had been looking over his shoulder. You and I both. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, it is a blast. And we have Tom McCarthy later, who is calling the game this afternoon out of Louisville. So we'll talk to him about that game. Uh, it's uh, Creighton-San Diego State. All right, question number four out of five, Judy. Just kind of want your quick thoughts on the Eagles' signings this week. They, you know, focused on defense. They added linebacker Thomas Morrow from the Bears. Uh, they added Greedy Williams as a third cornerback. They added a couple of safeties in Terrell Edmonds and Justin Evans. Not a single fan in Philadelphia would be able to recognize any of these guys walking down the streets. Doesn't mean it, they're bad signings. Does it move the needle, Jody? Move the needle. I think I, I comprehend the definition of that phrase as you use it. Not really. It, they, these are safety net type guys. I like Nick Morrow. Um, he's a lesser version of T.J. Edwards, and that's why he's making one-fifth of what T.J. Edwards is making. So you pay for what you get. Uh, he's a good, solid tackler. He's not much in coverage. Uh, they need bodies as of right now, and there weren't other greater options out there. The Eagles are going to need to hit on the draft to upgrade their defense with some of the losses they had there. I thought the most interesting thing was uh, the signing of Edmonds because he's not really the type of safety that the Eagles have been using Mm -hmm. uh, the last couple of years under Jonathan Gannon. They like flexible guys. They like guys who can play both the slot and safety, guys who can just flat-out cover and athletic guys. Edmonds is a, a, a box safety. He's a good tackler. He's a guy who comes up to the line of scrimmage and every once in a while can get home on a blitz. He's a good player. I think it's a good signing, but he just doesn't seem to fit the way the Eagles have used that position. So it's going to be very interesting. Is Sean Desai going to have a little different way of doing things? Everybody assumed, well, he's a Vic Fangio guy the same way that uh, Gannon was a Fangio guy, so the defense is going to be tremendously similar. Maybe there'll be some differences. That that was the most intriguing signing to me. I'm not telling you that Edmonds is going to come in here and just be great, uh, but he's he's probably the most accomplished guy that they've signed uh, their last three defensive signings. But he just doesn't seem to fit the way the Eagles yeah, have different. played over the last couple of years. Yeah, maybe that's what's available. That's what you got to go for, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't. I, again, they didn't have a lot of money to spend this off season. They know they need to. Fill those positions. Here's the best available player. We'll try to make work. Remember, new defensive coordinator, so maybe he is looking at it differently. Yep. All right, question number five on what's brewing last night, and it was a great job uh, by you, uh, not recognizing Budweiser, notwithstanding. 
Uh, I asked you, will the Phillies make the playoffs this season? And we filmed that show a couple of weeks ago, and your answer was, heck yeah. Uh, that was taped before the Hoskins injury, before the Ranger Suarez injury, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you still say heck yeah? Maybe lose the heck. Uh-oh. And, and <laughs> go with yeah. <laughs> With without as much fervor as I oh, did on I the show, that emphasis. Oh. Uh, yes, and it was meant to be. You you interpreted it correctly that I thought they were damn close to a lock to be a playoff team. Um, the Hoskins loss is bad. The Rangers Suarez question marks bother me greatly. You know, I felt about Andrew Painter. I thought they were overstating it all along. Yeah, so I, I can't now go back and go in revisionist history. Oh, my God, they lost Andrew Painter. Well, I, I didn't think they should have put as much on Andrew Painter's offseason plate as they did. But uh, all of a sudden, what I thought was a strength, the depth of the Phillies, is now come into question when you get three injuries. And, and maybe Ranger misses one start, and then he's good to go, and he starts all 30 games uh, over the course of a season. But... I am I am nervous about the Phillies' depth all of a sudden and the domino effect of Reese Hoskins being out of the lineup that could have on everything else. Yeah, I don't think there's any way to disagree with that. And uh, there are some options, and we'll see how that plays out, and they still could make a move. But, um, uh, you know, there are people that we talked to who thought, like, ah, you know, they shouldn't even bring back Reese Hoskins. 30 home runs a year, OPS around 850, year in and year out. Streaky player, but when he gets hot, man, well, you saw what he did in the playoffs. He can he can really carry a team, and I think that's going to be a big loss. All right, so he's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, coming up, we're going to talk to Tyler Kepner, a baseball columnist for the New York Times. Uh, kind of get, you know, an outsider's perspective on what he thinks, where he thinks the Phillies uh, rank these days. And we will always take your calls. We're looking forward to talking to you today at 215-592-9494. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94WIP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Well, that was an amazing moment from uh, last week in the uh, World Baseball Classic where Japan beats the United States. It really was, uh, to my way of thinking, just a a terrific tournament. I'm Glenn Mack now with Jody McDonald. We are joined now by New York Times baseball columnist Tyler Kepner. Tyler is the uh, author of a couple of great books, K. A History of Baseball in Ten Pitches, which I read and loved. And The Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series, which came out last year. He is a local guy. Grew up uh, rooting for those poor Phillies teams of the late 1980s. And Jody said he also grew up listening to us, which makes me feel old. Anyway, Tyler, a pleasure. Nice to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, guys. Where would I rather be on my birthday than, than hanging oh, out on WIP with, with Mac and Mac? Well, we would have played a song. Happy birthday. Uh, hold on. Hey, me, and, uh, me, and, uh, me and the late, great Harry Callis, right? So, Jody March is 23rd. the birthday man. Oh, that's good company. Jody's the birthday yeah. man, but I'm guessing 45. 
Well, that would be nice. I'm 48. So. I, I was going to say the birthday man would go slightly higher. I, I would have been kind like you and said, I'm going to stay on the short side of 50 and gone 49, which means I would have missed by one. And which means you would have won. That's the rule. All right, no, Tyler. Glenn, you would have won because you can't go. You can't bid over. Those are the- oh, <laughs> if I'm over, I'm a loser. Okay, I'll take another L for me. I've already taken one with beer today. Why not on birthday man, too? Uh, all right, Tyler, before we get to the Phillies, let's talk about that WBC because there they were critics. But I think that it was I mean, as you you wrote, I believe, or tweeted earlier this week, uh, it was a rollicking semifinal. I guess you quoted Benji Gill from Mexico saying the world of baseball won. I agree. I'm sure you do. Can they do more with it? Uh, I don't know that they can or really need to um, because you can't put it anywhere else in the calendar. Um, you're not going to shut down the season in the middle um, for a couple of weeks. That's unrealistic. And you're definitely not going to do it at the end of the season because players are tired by then and just want to go home. Um, you know, and most of them don't play in the postseason. They have to wait around. So it's, this is the only time it's going to happen. And, and I think it's great. I mean, you know, we saw, I mean, from the Phillies fan standpoint, you know, you got to see, three Phillies in the starting lineup and hitting a bunch of home runs. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, there are going to be some injuries, but there are always injuries whenever you play anywhere. You know, there's injuries in spring training, obviously with Hoskins and, and Gavin Lux and everybody else. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's so much better guys, right. Than what we used to have, which was pretty much nothing. I mean, we'd have the Olympics, but you know, the Olympics were always very muted and, and always very sort of, um, lukewarm on baseball anyway, uh, without the major leaguers there. So this is this is great. Once every four years, usually, I guess it'll be three years now. Um, it's it's a whole lot of fun to watch and especially to be there. All right, let me play devil's advocate. Yeah, I'm certainly copying to that ahead of time because I too loved the WBC and was riveted to my TV for almost every single game. But as great as it was. They didn't have a pitch clock. They didn't need a pitch clock. The The fact that the games took as long as they did didn't bother me in the least. And again, everybody's looking at it through their own prism. Uh, the first 10 days of uh, spring training, all everybody talked about was the pitch clock and adjusting to the pitch clock. Is the pitch clock a good eye? Is it going to have a major impact on the game? And then the WBC came along, and it kind of got forgotten. Am I reading too much into this, Tyler Kepner, that – the great WBC had nothing to do with pitch clocks, and it was as uh, phenomenal a couple of weeks of baseball as it was. Right, but it was just so totally different. I mean, you're, you know, you, you've got fans of, of the, the, you know, all these different kinds of fans. You know, the Japanese fans are slightly different than the Mexican fans. are slightly different than the, than the Puerto Rican fans, uh, the Dominican fans. So it's, 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 it's really that that melting pot, whatever you want to say, of, of, of fan cultures, um, I think, that makes that event. And then the players respond to that with the way they play and the passion they play and stuff. And, yeah, the, the pitch clock's not, not a part of it because it's just being introduced now to the big leagues. So, um, you know, it's not really a worldwide thing. Um, wouldn't be fair. And also, I mean, they did have a 10-run rule in, in, in the opening round. So, you know, if you, if you want to get into, like, uh, some – you know things that we're not used to. Um, I, I saw a couple of teams ten ruled, ten run ruled early. So uh, you know it's it's it's. I, I think the pitch clock's going to be great if we want to go in that direction. I mean, I think the pitch clock's terrific, and, and I think by the time we get to October, they'll 
they'll iron out a few things and, and they won't let they won't let a game be decided on that in the ninth inning or whatever of, of a postseason game. I'm I'm pretty sure logic will prevail then. Tyler Kepner is our guest, the pride of Germantown Academy. You can follow him on Twitter at Tyler Kepner, K E P N E R. Let's talk about the impact of losing Reese Hoskins for the Phillies. Um, as of now, what do you think is the smartest and most realistic way to deal with it? Do you uh, try to add somebody? It's tough to do this time of year, but maybe you can. Uh, do you move somebody around? Do you? What do you do? What's what? What's the bright move? Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be good to see what what Derek Hall can do. Um, you know, with extended playing time again. Um, you know, I, I think that it's always. There's always a chance that a guy can take advantage of, of an opportunity and, and run with it. We've seen that many times uh, throughout baseball history. I mean, you could go on the waiver wire and see who's out there. I mean, Luke Voigt just opted out of his contract. When you dig into Luke Voigt's stats, he's, he's not actually really that great against lefties, and he's coming off a couple bad years. But he does have power, and he had success in the relatively recent past in 2020. So, you know, you can maybe take a flyer on a guy like that, hope he gets hot. Um but yeah, I, you know, it's it's really really tough. I don't have to tell you guys that um, to see a, a, a cornerstone kind of player, possibly in his last year with the team, uh, go down like that. It's 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 rough. Um, but you know, I mean, maybe Hall takes advantage. Maybe some combination of Boehm over at first and, and so so they can they can figure it out. Um, but there's no way to get around it. I mean, you know, you can't you can't just go out and find a guy who's who's a lock for 30 homers like 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 Hoskins. I know uh, you don't watch the Phillies every single day, but Edmundo Sosa might be their best hitter in spring training. And prior to this injury coming down, I looked at him as like a 250 at bat guy. Now I'm looking at him as a 400 and change at bat guy because if he's not playing third with Bowman first, he's given to Trey a day off at short. He's given Stodd whatever downtime he needs. You move Bowman to first, Sosa's playing third. He's probably their backup center fielder as of right now. Is Edmundo Sosa a 450 at bat guy? He could be, and that's not that may not be the worst thing. I mean, you know, when when you think about the defense that he brings. Um, you know, and as you say, how he's hit lately, um, I, you know, I, I think you could do a lot worse um, than him. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, that's one of the things that, that Dombrowski did is, is he brought in some guys who, you know, even if they aren't, uh, you know, going to win a batting title or anything, they're, you know, Brandon Marsh types, you know, they're going to give you some value because they do certain things really well. And, and, and that's defense. So, um, you know, I, I think the good thing is the Phillies will be good enough to where, um, you know, as the season goes on, if there's a big bat out there or somebody becomes available, um, the Phillies can always go go try to get them. You know, contenders can always fill holes uh, as the season goes along. We saw that with Ronald Acuna a few years ago. I mean, not many better players than him. He goes down the Braves backfill with a bunch of outfielders, and they all you know they hit on all of them, and they win the World Series. So yeah, um, <clears throat> you can't you can't forget that that this team will be in it, especially with the six playoff spots. This team really should be in it um, in July. And at that point, you go out and see who's out there and trade for him. All right, Tyler Kepner. The other big story that's been breaking this week is that the Phillies uh, and Aaron Nola have broken off uh, contract talks, presumably until after the season. I always see that as a bit of an ominous sign. 
Um, do you expect to see him go to free agency and likely leave? And I guess the second part of that question is where, I don't need an exact number, I guess, but where do you see him fitting into the salary structure of major league pitchers? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with obviously what he does this year and in his platform year. I mean, it, it seems crazy, but, um, you know, top starting pitchers are getting, you know, upwards of 25 million plus a year, you know, it's in some cases 30, it, it seems crazy, but that's what guys are getting. I don't know if I see him as, as quite that caliber of, of guy, but I mean, when you've got two guys on the Mets making 43 million each, um, you know, I know they're older and it's a much shorter term contract with Scherzer and Verlander, um, you know, that sets, that sets a bar. Um, so I, you know, Middleton is, is obviously shown to be, really aggressive and and great for great for the fans in terms of like you know always going after good players um but if i'm aaron nola and and i look i may be one of the top pitchers on the market i i I would like to see what my my true value is he's already done one long-term extension with the phillies so um you don't often get two chances to do that if you're the team so i'm not really surprised that they couldn't quite work something out because there's such such huge potential riches for him if he does have another uh you know really strong season no, you know the guy because uh, you're a very good uh, national writer, and he is one of the more important figures in Major League Baseball, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. Everyone decides for themselves. The whole Andrew Painter thing, it took him about eight days to come out with a diagnosis of what was wrong with him and how they were going to handle him going forward. And I get the distinct impression that was because Scott Boris was involved. And Boris is the super agent of all baseball and you have to appreciate the fact that he's always front and center, ready to grab the spotlight and answer questions. But he can slow processes down because he does uber protect his clients. Is this going to sidetrack the year for Andrew Painter? The injuries are in injury, and we're now told that it's something that he surely doesn't need surgery on. But they're going to go extra careful with him now after basically throwing him into the deep end of the pool all off season. What kind of year are you predicting for Andrew Painter now? Well, I actually think in some ways, um, if if this is not a, a surgical repair thing, if, if this doesn't turn out to be, hey, eventually he needs surgery. I mean, worst case is he, he tries to come back, he needs surgery, and then he's out you know, for all of next year too because he waited. Um, that's the worst case. But I think the best case is that this this slows him down a little bit um, and he may have more innings for you toward the end of the year and even into October um, if it comes to that. You know, and he could be because he won't have taxed himself with a lot of innings in April and May and June or whatever. Um, you can get him on the back end. So <clears throat> whether that means he's like a, a starter for a, you know five innings or six innings or whether it's a you know three innings out of the bullpen um, kind of guy like we've seen in the past with Arias and. Morton and, and various examples in recent postseasons, um, he could be a real weapon. So I'm not super, I'm not really pessimistic about it because unless he needs surgery, if he's going to come back this year, um, he wasn't going to pitch, you know, 200 innings by any means. So maybe you get his best innings later in the year. Uh, you know, it seemed to me, didn't it seem like, like he was starting off a little too, too strong, too fast, you know, for a mm-hmm. kid that age. So maybe you slow it down a little bit. And Boris, you know, he, he always he always cares. <clears throat> he always has – he's always big with uh, Dr. Neil Elitrosh out there. He needed time to get Elitrosh to see him. 
Scott doesn't do a whole lot elbow wise without dealing with Elitraj. So he needed to get all that stuff straightened out. And I actually think it could be fine. Yeah. I, 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 Jody and I both agreed, like no rush. The kid was 19. We thought expectations were a little too high, too fast. Would love, love him as a prospect, love his career moving forward. But I think people who put him in the starting rotation to begin this year might've been moving fast. All right. One more for me. And uh, Jody earlier referenced the rule changes, and um, this relates to those and also relates to a wager Jody and I have made. So without telling you who has which side, I'm just going to ask you the question. Do you, Tyler Kepner, national baseball columnist for the New York Times, believe that stolen bases in 2023 will rise 10% or more over last season, and why or why not? 10%. Ten percent. That's a, that's that's a bar. That's a low enough bar that I'll take that. I'll I'll I'll, I'll take the over on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you know I mean look the bigger bases that it's it it's a couple it's a few extra inches right four and a half inches. I mean we've seen so many um, you know bang bang plays over the years that 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 go right down to you know certainly within the four and a half inch mark. Um, so I think I think they'll they'll uh, increase. I think um, the limits on pickoff attempts will be interesting to see how teams um handle that you know because the third time you've either got to get him or it's a balk so you know if you can't take too big a lead or he'll get you and you can't you know risk throwing over there so i don't know exactly but i've heard enough from catchers and executives and seen the way teams are going this year that if you shift those those that risk reward just a little bit more to where if you're stealing bases at a greater percentage and they have been stolen at a greater percentage this spring then, then the reward makes it worth it. I mean, I think the, one of the biggest reasons that we've seen a drop in stolen bases is not because the athletes aren't great, because they are. It's because the analytics say that it's not really worth it to risk outs when you're already on the bases. Um, but if you can steal bases consistently at an 80% or more clip, um, the, the odds are in your favor to do it. So, yeah, I think we'll get more than 10%. Sure, I think we'll definitely get more than the league leader last year, which was only 41 by John uh, Birdie of the Marlins, I think we'll see that shatter this year. So not going to get Ricky Henderson back, um, Ricky, you know, but uh, we might get someone who steals, you know, we might see 50 stolen base, 60 stolen base seasons work common again, and I think that'd be a lot of fun. And I know Philly fans are hoping that guy's name is Trey uh, Turner, but uh, just say. Uh, I put Philly aside for a second because we're all Philly-centric here, but you're watching all of Major League Baseball uh, certainly, the whole World Baseball Classic and Trout against Otani and all that are huge stories. But is there anyone else who's jumped up, who's just killed it in spring training, or seems to be slated for a big role on a team that's actually got a chance to do something come postseason time? What's the storyline, non-World Baseball Classic related, that you've come across so far this spring? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's – some teams to certainly keep an eye on. I think Toronto's ready to make that next move. Um, they've been good for a few years now without really doing anything in the postseason. I think they're ready to overtake the Yankees. The Yankees have some injury questions already right out of the gate. But if they give their shortstop job to this kid Anthony Volpe, who who has been opening a lot of eyes up there, um, you know, they, we, we we don't know. We don't know how good he's going to be. He could be a real game changer. He looked terrific, um, <clears throat> Jersey kid. So. Uh, that could be someone to watch. I mean, I, I'm here at St. Lucie right now watching the Mets, and the Cardinals just uh, gave a roster spot to to their one of their big prospects, Jordan Walker. 
uh, corner outfielder, um, former third baseman. So he he's a guy to look out for. Um, you know, St. Louis is always tough. So um, it's I just can't wait. I mean, I got going to see Yoshida on the Red Sox. Um, I think he mm-hmm. – yeah, the Red Sox have gotten a lot of criticism, justifiably, because they've kind of uh, opted out of most of the big contract uh, contracts out there. But this this – Yoshida guy um, looked really good in the WBC, and he's got a terrific profile. So I think he could be a lot better than people think up there in Boston. So, yeah, there's stuff to watch everywhere. And, uh, man, I just can't wait. 15 games on Thursday, and then uh, away we go. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're Obviously, in this town, we're looking forward to the Phillies defending that uh, National League championship. Tyler Kepner, uh, I want to wish happy birthday to uh, Diana Ross and Steven Tyler and Kira Knightley and Kenny Chesney and uh, Martin Short and you. That's right. Left out, but there you go. That's the quick list that, that I could find. <laughs> uh, and I do want to tell people that uh, you're to read you in the New York Times, follow you on Twitter, and your book K, uh, History of Baseball. In I don't have it for me. Nine pitches. How many pitches? Ten of them. Ten. Okay. Sorry, I left out the knuckle screwball. Uh, anyway, <laughs> was a, was one of my favorite baseball books in recent years. And and thanks for joining us. And enjoy the season. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Always nice to chat with you. Uh, Happy birthday, go. Tyler. There you go. Tyler Kepner, uh, really solid baseball writer. Always always enjoy him. And I like getting that outside perspective. You, quick, you, quick, yeah. quick Tyler Kepner aside. Yeah. This is the early 90s, I believe, before Mac and Mac became a thing. I got an invite via mail. Mail, not yeah. email. Mail. Well, Actual good. letter with a stamp on it. He came to the radio station. Inviting me to his fantasy baseball draft. Is that right? Bunch of high school kids from <laughs> northern what, 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 Germantown what, Academy. Germantown, is, right. Yeah, right. Um, and I was a newbie in town. I was only here a couple of months. Uh, former general manager, son, but but you would really make. And I got back to the kid and said, "Yeah, I'm available that ah. night. I can come by." <laughs> so I was the commissioner for his fantasy baseball league. I believe his senior year in high school. That's a great um, story. Yeah, it is. It's true. And Ted Tyler reminds me of that once every fifth time I get him on. And he oh, says, uh, yeah, you screwed me that day. You gave me bad info. I didn't win the league <laughs> that year. Um, but, yes, I, I was the commissioner with my first couple of months here in Philadelphia of Tyler Kepner and his buddy's high school fantasy baseball draft. I love that. That's a great story. There you go. Uh, we got time for calls. Now, we're, 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 the guests are both early today. Tom McCarthy is going to join us at 11. That's just kind of what fit both of their schedules. But we do want to hear from you, 215-592-9494. Uh, we'll take your calls in the next segment if you want. And uh, Jody and I are going to look at the Phillies roster or lineup and batting order without Reese Hoskins. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Macnow, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP, 215-592-9494. Let's talk to John in Maniunk. What's on your mind this morning, John? Hey, Glenn, what's going on? I was watching uh, What's Brewing last night. Yes. And I saw Jody pick, uh, did he pick PBR at the end? Is it during his taste test? Yes, I did. Yes. I could picture you as like uh, Clinton, Grant Torino, smoking a heater up there where to cooler them. Yes. Thing, getting off my lawn. <laughs> 
and I, 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 I've never been a PBR guy. It's if somebody hands me a PBR, I'm not going to say no, but it would not That's be my first choice. But it was, hey, it was the winter fair in Square last night, and I came off with a little leg on my face. So I'll just uh, give people the five beers that were in the blind taste test. And what we did is we, we were at uh, Lower Marion Beverage Company, and they poured off stage, and we drank out of, out of cups, Jody and, and myself and Ed Hospodar. And the five beers were Budweiser, Pabst Blue Ribbon, Coors Banquet, um, Miller High Life, and uh, Labatt's Blue. And the number one finisher was PBR, and the number five finisher was Budweiser. Wow. Jody tells me you might want to reconsider your life choices. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I'll just continue to make fun of myself and drink the beer I drink. Anyway, what's on your mind? Uh, for the Phillies, I know everyone's uh, stressing about uh, Reese Hoskins. I know it's it's really bad what happened to him, but I think with a long ball haul and a couple other guys filling in at DH, I think they uh, they should be okay. I mean, it's a big miss, but I think um, the thing that really worries me is that uh, Sot and Marsh aren't clicking at the plate, and I don't think these guys are ever going to hit in the big leagues. Um, let me, uh, let, let's put aside Stott and Marsh for a moment, but let's talk about long ball hall because th- this is, we used to do a show with Charlie Manuel. I remember one of the things that I learned from Charlie that I didn't really think about beforehand is there's a difference between a guy who can come up and give you 200 at bats a year off the bench or as a part-time player versus a guy you're looking to play every day, or in this case, play as the, the long side of a platoon, right? which means that if he plays every day, he'll get 450, 500 at-bats. And, and Charlie would always say, that's a whole different thing to ask of a guy. Jody Hall came up. He had, I don't have a stats in front of me, about 130 at-bats. Actually, I do have a stats in front of me. Hold on. He had 130 at-bats. He hit nine home runs in a quarter of a season, but he also had 44 strikeouts to yeah. five walks. He struck out every third time at-bat. I don't know that he's that we can ask more of him than what he did last year. Well, no, I think we can ask the same. I would not say he's going to get better, but I don't specifically say the more you ask, the worse it's going to get. But prorated out, it is what it is. He's got a chance to hit 35 home runs, but he's going to strike out 200 and change times. If you're going to make him a 500 at-bat guy, can you take the good with the bad? Here's why I'm good with Derek Hall. Speaking of the good with the bad, what's Reese Hoskins? He is the most up-and-down player in all of Major League Baseball. When he's great, he can carry a team. When he's awful, he can flat-out kill you. If you were going to buy into that with Reese Hoskins, why wouldn't you give Derek Hall the chance to do the same exact thing? Well, I'm not saying I'm not going to give him the chance. I don't have any choice but to give him the chance. But I got six years of Hoskins being a very productive player that I can – yeah, you're right. I mean, he's as streak as it gets. But he's really productive, and he walks. I mean, he he, That's he, true. he you know he he doesn't hit for a high average, but he gets on base a lot. He walks. I don't know if Derek Hall. I don't know if I can prorate what he did times three and say, okay, I can give him five hundred bets. He'll do that. I hope so, but I don't know. So, uh, John, let me ask you before we go: How many last year the Phillies had? What eighty-seven wins, eighty-eight wins, more or less this year? What do you think, John? Um, uh, I'm thinking 90. Okay, 90 seems about right. I think that uh, I would I would go right around there. 
Jody, we'll talk about this more as we do the show today. But right now, if you're to look at first base this season, give me your plan. Derek Hall totally drops. Uh, and he may drop. <laughs> um, but he is the obvious choice. And, yeah, I do think he can be a 30-plus home run guy, but you're going to have to live with even more strikeouts. Your point about, hey, at least Reese gets hits, uh, gets walks, he gets on base is very true. So what it's going to affect, and I know you are planning on asking me this later, the lineup is not going to be the same uh, because Reese Hoskins was a guy who uh, certainly Rob Thompson liked at the top of the lineup, had him pretty much locked into that two spot as he was uh, very infrequently moving guys around. Shoot, I would come on the air and go, listen, Reese is just about to start one of his downshifts, so why not get ahead of it and drop him down in the lineup? Nope, Rob Thompson believed in keeping the lineup together as it was. You're not just – you might be plugging Derek Hall into the first-base position defensively. You're not plugging him into the lineup because he is not a number two hitter. So someone is going to have to move up from uh, the further down the lineup into that new number two spot behind Trey Turner. And you're going to play him against lefties as well? If you want to go Bohm to first base, it all comes down to how you want to handle Bohm. Because yeah. we saw Alec Bohm get uh, significantly better defensively the last third of the season. Uh, the, the dueling corner butcher shops were closed on at least one of the corners <laughs> one, last year. Yeah, one block. Yes, one did get closed <laughs> down. Um, so if, if you're banking on Bohm being a key guy this year, you want to leave him at third base, uh, maybe play Sosa. Sosa's so good athletic defensively. Maybe just put him at first base. Uh, if you want to go righty-lefty against real tough lefties and get Hall off uh, first base, I'm okay with that. But you're going to have to be flexible with your lineup, be able to move guys around and up and down, which is something Rob Thompson didn't do last year. I'm not saying he won't do it this year because now that's the way he must manage for the rest of his career. But he didn't show a real desire to move guys around hot, cold, or indifferent. Yeah, we'll talk about it more as we go on. I got another another. Not long-term solution, but short-term solution that might work as well. But we will get it to Tom McCarthy, our pal, Phillies broadcaster, and now star of NCAA radio broadcast. We'll talk to him coming up. And as always, we'll get you calling. You get here. We'll get you next segment at 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Well, Tom McCarthy is a guy who is everywhere. He is, uh, is of course, the Phillies during spring training and during the season. Uh, You hear him on TV. He is on my car radio during the NFL season. He's uh, doing, as you hear right there the other day, calling uh, Princeton Creighton in the – no, that wasn't Princeton Creighton. That was, I'm sorry, the round before. But he was calling Princeton Creighton uh, yesterday. He's going to be doing more of that today. He calls the North American Bocce League. Uh, Tom McCarthy (laughs) – what don't, what don't you do? Um, well, I, I don't go home half the time. That's yeah. the problem. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's start with the NCAA. Then we'll move to baseball. Uh, and Princeton could couldn't hold up through the distance the other night. But but I heard the joy in your voice covering that game. Uh, maybe it's because you're a New Jersey guy. I know you used to do their games. Or is it is it the excitement and the uniqueness of this tournament that you and everybody else just rightfully gets wrapped up in? You know, that's a really good question, Glenn. I I, I felt it both ways the other day. Um, 
you know, I'm really grateful for everything that I have. I'm grateful for my Phillies gig and my Phillies family. And I'm even more grateful for the fact that they allow me to do all these other things, um, you know, when it doesn't interfere with baseball. But the other day was really special because I always tell people that the first time I started feeling old, but, you know, um, but appreciative in this business was when Ross Tucker was my partner in the NFL, because I called all of his games in college Ah, as the voice of Princeton. And I felt the same way the other day with Mitch, because I called Pete Carrill's last year, including the UCLA win. That was my first NCAA tournament. And Mitch was such a big part of that. And then was a big part of the, the, the team the next two years. So to come full circle and to be able to call an NCAA tournament game with him as the head coach in the year that Pete passed and all of those things. I mean, as we get older, we kind of get more emotional about things and we sort of um, look back at, at, at different events. This is something that's really was really special to me. Um, the fact that they lost, I mean, that was, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I love the Creighton team. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't crushed by it, but I was appreciative of the fact that I got to do those games. Now, let me tap into something you just mentioned, emotion. Uh, I've been watching the tournament for way too many years. And I'll be honest, I think the quality of play this year, and I always judge this by how I think guys are going to step up to uh, go to the next level. And maybe it's the general manager in my blood that I'm always scouting for where do we go from here, and uh, mm. maybe that's a bad thing or maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. But it just seems to me, even though I think the quality is down, the emotion seems to be up. And maybe it was because of underdog stories like uh, Fairleigh Dickinson and the Princeton, but you've been doing these tournaments for a while now. Even more emotional this year, crowd, players on the bench, and the like. Does it seem like it, there's a little more drama this year, even though the actual quality of the level of play might not be what it used to be? Is that fair? I think it's fair uh, because I think that the game is leveled off somewhat because of the NILs, the fifth year, the extra year of COVID. So there's older players that are in this tournament that are playing for teams like FDU or um, Florida Atlantic that balance out the blue bloods in some ways. So the success of FDU coupled with the success of St. Peter's last year, I think that has made this, sort of a it's sort of a crescendo it's it's ascended from one year to the next as far as the stories go and I also think the kid from Kansas State in my eyes may have played himself into being an NBA prospect despite his diminutive size and I don't know if that would have been the case previously for the outside world to see it it may have been part of the the basketball world that saw it so I do agree with that I I don't think that the the let's say the freshman of the year, the kid Miller from Alabama with all his issues. I think he was exposed the other day as a player that probably will be a first round pick or seasoning, you know, so, but you've got so many of these fifth year guys like San Diego state today. They've got a 25 year old that plays significant minutes. He's Mm -hmm. 25, Um, but he's got a master's degree. He's going for a second one. But it's the COVID year that has enabled, I think, some of these other teams to be a little more competitive. All right. And Tom is in Louisville today. You are calling the early afternoon game. Um, just great. Good for you and, and so much fun. All right. Let's let's move over to the uh, Phillies uh, now. And Jody and I have been talking about it. We had Tyler Kefner of the New York Times on earlier. 
kind of what do you do to uh, try to, uh, you can't replace Reese Hoskins, but to get by without Reese Hoskins, what would be the Tom McCarthy plan? Well, my plan would be Derek Hall gets a chance at first base. Um, I think he's done enough that he did enough last year to say to show that he can get that opportunity. Um, but I also think that there has to be a residual plan in case it doesn't work against left-handers because you are, you know, you're going into the season hoping that, that Marsh hits left-handers so you don't have to platoon in center field. You'd prefer not to platoon if you don't have to at first base. But I do think you can give him the lion's share of the, uh, of the abilities at first base when you need to put him, put him on the bench against a tough left-hander. You can either move Bohm over there. You can give Real Muto some time there. I don't think they need to go out and get somebody right now. But if it doesn't work, they will go out and get somebody, I'm convinced, to be able to be a balance over at first base. But I would give it to Derek Hall right now. Tommy, you were good enough to come on one of my night WIP shows first week of spring training. And I asked you a Hall-specific question about his play at first base defensively. Because although I love Reese Hoskins and I can live with his up-and-down nature of his bat when he's that good and that hot, you, he can carry an entire lineup. I wasn't looking to move away from Reese Hoskins. Maybe right. I put some bad karma out there in the world, and if I have to, I'll take the, the hit for that. But I just wanted to know about can he be relieved at first base? Would Derek Hall be an upgrade? Because no one was talking about D.H. and Reese Hoskins. That's what I thought was his best position. And you relied on your son. You said, my son watched him play doing the games every single day. and said, Dad, he's actually pretty good over there. He got to play a lot of spring games. And I know you were down there and running out to do tournament games and coming back. Has your uh, evaluation, and now it's even that much more important, of Derek Hall defensively at first base changed, upgraded, downgraded? What would you say about Hall's club? I, I think I, I think I was convinced that he was a, a solid defender. I'm not going to say he's Keith Hernandez or Mike Jorgensen or somebody like that, but I do think he's probably a tick better than Reese is over at first base, and I think that he'll continue to evolve. Obviously, he's a bigger body, but he does move well. I I, I think Reese does go left to right a little bit better, but I think that I think that Derek will be absolutely fine defensively. I think Patrick's assessment of him um, was right on, and I think he continues to work at it. And I think I lean on Larry a little bit, Larry Boa, um, and he seems to like him defensively. So, okay. And he doesn't usually mince any words. He doesn't sort of do the political, yeah, no, I think he'll be no. okay. And, you know, <laughs> Not Boa. He'll, he'll, say, he'll, say, uh, he'll say, yeah, that kid can't play there. You know, so, um, you know, so I kind of lean on his assessment too. And I think they feel pretty good about it. But again, guys, I think we're at the point where if it doesn't work, they're going to go out and find somebody else and put them there. But I don't know if it'll be whoever that, that will be. You know, there's been a lot of names that have been rolling out there. Um, you know, Luke Voigt, you know, CJ Crone, people like that. They're not defensive upgrades. Christian Walker from the Diamondbacks would be a defensive upgrade, but. I don't know if that's, you know, a feasible replacement. Yeah, I heard his name a lot. And, I mean, he what do he have, 30-something home runs? I'm like, why would they get rid of him? I, right. I, I, well, I don't understand that speculation. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess at some point he's going to want money, and they're like the Pirates. They don't do hey, that kind of be, thing. Hey, be, be yeah. careful, you guys. Beware the Diamondbacks. I think they can actually be in the mix for that final wild card spot like the Phillies. Okay. Well, I think, I think, they're... It's, open. I think it's open for everybody, honestly, Jody. I mean, I really do. I think we, we saw that last year that, I mean, you can 
you could be a 500 team and get in if you if, if you play your cards right. Yep, finish strong. Uh, Tom McCarthy is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at T Mac Phils. Uh, open ended open ended question, Tom. Um, who do you see as a good candidate this year to have a big time step up year? Either an unproven guy or maybe even a guy who's been on the roster for a while. Well, I think it's Bohm. I mean, I, there I it felt is. that way from Everybody the beginning of the spring. Everybody says that. Yeah. I, I asked you know, that question, wondering if you were going to say that. I, I think it is. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a default pick in some ways, Jody, because, you know, there's not many differences in this team compared to last year. I mean, I could say Castellanos. I could say Marsh. But I really, truly believe it's Bohm. And I think it's because he's a right-handed bat that um, has progressed. Um, he's totally different this spring. His body language is totally different. I'm not sure if that'll dictate success or not, but um, he's, I think he's more comfortable. At least the perception is that he's more comfortable in his skin than he was before. And he may have been, and we just never really knew it because he was so you know quiet. But I think last year was a really good year for him to take that step forward this year. Tommy, worst case scenario, and I hate to be the uh, Debbie Downer guy, but if Ranger Suarez's injuries linger yeah. and he not only misses the first week, but he misses the first month, Bailey Falter was the guy on the outside looking in. He was the safety net at five if Painter was good and Ranger was ready to start the season. And now both of those two things are in question and Falter is certainly locked into a rotational spot. If it's got to be four or five starts deep, who's going to be the Phillies' fifth starter? Well, I think there's a chance you're going to see, um, you know, the, the sort of bullpen by committee at the beginning of the game. I think Matt Strom, who uh, pitches today, I think he's one of those guys that will pitch two or three innings and then they'll go into the bullpen. Um, I also think that Plasmeyer might be an option to be a middle guy in that sort of, sort of piggyback guy. I, I wouldn't be shocked some point if it gets to be four or five starts that you start to see, you know, a little bit of Mick Abel, um, Griff McGarry talk, because I think Ooh. they've taken farther steps than people thought with this spring. I thought Abel looked really good. I know there was a, an outing where he didn't look as strong uh, with his command. I think command's the biggest thing, but I wouldn't be surprised that the five spot is what you're seeing today um, or a Plasmeyer strom combination to kind of get us through, get the team through these uh, first couple weeks of not having Ranger Suarez at, a, at, a, at full capacity. Strom's pitching today because if Ranger is available, he's not going to go five or six. He's going to go right. three in those first few starts. So then they need somebody that can go three on, on top of him. Mm -hmm. uh, there aren't a whole lot of open-ended questions with this team right now, Tom, but one remains as we're four days away. Who's going to comprise the bench? Um, or the bench will comprise whom, to say it correctly. Uh, hmm. Who you got? They carry a shorter bench. Teams do than they used to. So maybe there's, whatever, four or five guys on the bench. Who do you see making it? Well, I think the bench is going to be shorter just because of the pitching issues. I think they're going to have to carry another pitcher or two, which, you know, which would mean that they'll, they'll go shorter with what's going to happen on the bench. I mean, I – I, I, obviously, Josh Harrison, to me, he's already on the team. I, Derek Halls, you know, ha, has found his place on the team now, too. Jake Cave, I think, has played well enough that he is going to be on the team and could be, obviously, in the, the first day's lineup uh, against Jacob DeGrom because he's a right-hander. Um, 
I think there's a really good chance that, you know, you'll see Scott Kingery uh, on this team because of his versatility. Although Guthrie, Guthrie has obviously played more these last few days. So I think that's the last spot is the toss up between those two guys. All right, Tommy, last thing for me. Um, how important is a quick start to this team? We know full well Reese is done. Bryce uh, got some good news, at least uh, for foreshadowing, that he could be back by the end of May rather than the middle of July, which is good news. But we know we're going to be handicapped offensively for the first couple months of the season because of these losses. Is it imperative that the Phillies get out to a good start, that they are hanging with the Braves and the Mets from week one? Is it 162 games? Calm down, McDonald. Don't get nuts over the first three weeks of the season. How much do you factor in a team's 162-game look off the first three weeks of the season? I think it's imperative for them to be above water this first six weeks of the season. I'm not saying they have to be running out and leading the division, but I, they cannot, I, in my opinion, they perceptually they can't be um, six games under 500. Now they were last year, 22 and 29, but that's not the greatest way to go through a season. So to me, I think 500 or around that area or better um, is would be fine. I, I think they're going to be better than that, um, but I don't think that they can play catch-up the way they played catch-up last year. I just don't think it's, you know, I don't think teams are are built that way. Um, I just think they have to get off to a decent start. They don't have to get off to, you know, the Detroit Tigers of 1984, but it would be nice to get off to something that sem- that, that, that is a, a semblance of a successful look for a variety of reasons, interest, energy, build-up to Bryce, all those things. Um but just stay within reach. I mean, listen, the extra spot in the, in the playoffs really does help everybody. I mean, it obviously aided them last year. And then it's, you know, it's every man for himself when it comes to the postseason. Yeah, and one of the things about last year is you ended up replacing the manager, which gave you a lot of energy. I don't think anybody's in the mood to do that again this year. Uh, two, no. two, two closers for me. One is, how is your son doing? I know uh, the, your son is now doing the games for the Mets. You have to be so proud of that. That's uh, – I'm sure. I I'm am. sure he's yeah. enjoying it, and I'm sure you and your your wife are just enjoying it immensely. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, he's. Um, I, I I listened to him a little bit last night, but I, I obviously was watching the basketball game. So I told him that I said you're kind of on your own. I've kind of let him go a little bit. Not really offered too much, um, you know, unless he's asked. But he sounds really good. I mean, you know, the are two young kids that are basically sliding into the Mets booth with Howie Rose and Keith Rad is one and and Patrick and. Um, they seem to have a really good rapport together. They both look like they're really bad golfers, which is good uh, from the photos that I've seen. But I'm really proud of him. I'm proud of his work ethic. Um, you know, That's great. I, I like his. Yeah, I like his. Uh, I like his demeanor when people ask him questions about things, and uh, it just seems like he's, you know, he's he's hit his stride right now, and it's just going to keep getting better. Hey, it's the family business now. That's a good thing. Uh, and then the last one is, uh, as I was telling Jody at the start of the show, I just shredded up my tournament bracket and tossed it sure. away because I, I, I got, I got no, nobody left. Um, but I want to ask you, as a guy who will be doing the game, you got the early game today in Louisville. Yep. Uh, yep. Give me, uh, let, let's play it through. Give us your final four and give us your winner. Well, I mean, it, my winner before was UCLA. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, you know, I, I, 
I don't know. For some reason, I, I'm getting to – I mean, it's going to be San Diego State, Creighton against Florida Atlantic, which is so weird in the one wing. And then it's going to be UConn uh, against the winner of uh, later on's game, which I think is going to be Texas um, in the other one. Uh, so I actually think UConn's going to win it now. I mean, it sounds weird. I did them earlier this year when they were number four in the country, and they didn't play like number four in the country. But I just think that at this point, um, it's going to come down to UConn and San Diego State. Um, and I just think it's going to be a very weird final, but I think UConn's going to win it. Well, there you go. Uh, Tom McCarthy, uh, always a pleasure. Have a great one today. We look forward to uh, seeing you back with the Phillies, man. All right, boys. Thank you. Talk to you, T-Mac. There you go. Great guy. Great guy. Uh, Let's sneak in a call before the break. Mitch wants to talk about the tournament. Mitch, what do you got? How you guys doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You got it. I got to say it. I got to say it. I see all these little schools make it because you can never have it in college football. Standing to say if they win it all without helping get to the Pac-12 in both sports. Thank thank you. You got it. I I know Mitch. He's a big Pac-12 guy. So he's always he takes okay. everything through the prism of the Pac-12. San Diego State's going to win them all, win it all, so we get him in the Pac-12. He's a Jersey guy, right? He's a Jersey guy, but he loves Pac-12 football uh, and uh, and uh, basketball. Okay, from kind of a weird thing. Away, I get go it. For yeah, it. Uh, either he's a former LA guy or he lived out in LA for a while, but has moved back to Jersey, and that's a Jersey accent if I've ever heard one. Uh, but for some reason, he's a huge Pac-12 guy. Okay, well, there you go. Didn't didn't add much, but happy to take his call. Looking forward to taking more calls. No more guests for the rest of the show. Jody and me and you at two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We come back. We'll restart the show a little bit. I want to talk a lot of baseball today because we are four days away from the opener, but we will work in everything else as well. Jody and Glenn on 94 WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now, Sunday morning, 94 WIP. Let's talk to Brian in Brunswick. All Jersey calls today, Jody. How about that? What's up, Brian? Hey, good morning, guys. I want to talk about the draft. I mean, there's so many things that that Howie can do with two first-round picks. And one of the thoughts I have is that he may be looking at one or two players who are must-picks if they're on the board, uh, still on the board, like a Skaronsky or somebody like that that he is enamored with. And if he doesn't have that available to him, let's say they're gone, I think he's looking for a partner to trade that 10th pick and pick up maybe another uh, pick in the first round, perhaps a trade partner like uh, Tampa, and then get a two, so you have two ones and two twos to fill someone holes that have been created by free agency. And, of course, the Eagles have a great history with second-round picks. I mean, you just go back to history, going back to Cunningham, Zach Ertz, Shady, a number of guys, yeah. uh, even even Hurst. You know, so uh, I, that's what I think they're going to do. I think, and, and then he's going to look to, uh, to fill in some skill positions, but also trenches, which is always uh, – a key for him, and it is essential. So to, let me let me back you up. You say you keep that first pick, the number ten pick. If and I know you mentioned Skoransky. What like is? Give me your short list there. Is it by position or is it a couple names? I know. I, I think it's going to be like a Murphy from uh, Clemson, uh, edge rusher, Skoransky, somebody like that. Again, it depends on on how how he perceives it. The one guy that a lot of people seem to be enamored with, and I, I you know, I don't think uh, how he's going to pull the trigger on is this guy Robinson. Uh, from Texas, the running back. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are, are big on him. And I, I, I just don't know, you know, the value of the I'd running be really, back. I'd be really surprised. Jody, I cannot see them taking, and I know he is the running back of the draft. 
If he's there, I don't see it. You see it? Not a 10. Uh, and I think Arcola's got a good game plan in place, but here's the best laid plans of mice and general managers. Uh, you need a partner. As he mentioned, oh, throw Tampa in there. Who does Tampa want to move up to get if there's someone that you don't think is that great that you have to take a 10? It's going to have to be positional specific that a team's going to want to move up. In theory, I think it's a phenomenal way of looking at it coming in. But then you got to find your dance partner. And sometimes it's not as easy as you think it would be. I hear you. Anything else? Yeah, I just think, you know, Tampa I mentioned only because I'm thinking that perhaps Tampa, like a, a team that needs a quarterback, maybe there's a quarterback that they like that's still on the board at 10. And that's why I suggested them because you can write off Right. How many others between 10 and 19? Like here's, the here's, the pro- he, here's the problem Thanks, with this. Brian. And none of, none of us know this, but uh, if you want to guess and project, the top four quarterbacks are going to, all going to be gone before you get to 10. Uh, whether they deserve to be drafted or not, Stroud and Young are probably going to go one and two unless there's some team that is willing to move up to uh, – I, I, I don't think it's going to be the three spot. Uh-uh. I just everything I read, everything I hear, Max says that all four of the top quarterbacks are going to be gone in the top, uh, probably, maybe even the top five picks. Great. So the team moving up, which is both good and bad. You're right. It's great in that it pushes all the other guys down the board. So that guy might be there for the Eagles at ten that they just think is is number three on their board. And if you're getting your third ranked player at ten, that's phenomenal. You got to take them. But also, if you're looking to trade down, most times when you're thinking about a team aggressively moving up, why would they do so? Oh, well, they get a quarterback. There's no other quarterback in this draft that merits going in the top ten. Shoot, I don't think two of the the, the five, uh, two of the four that will go deserve to be top ten picks. But that's not in play for the Eagles at ten if the four quarterbacks come off the board as quickly as I think they're going to. Yeah, and that's always the case, right? Quarterbacks always get overvalued, and there's always that guy who goes in the first round. It's like, what the hell were they thinking with that when you look back at it a year or two later? And I hear your point. It will reduce the opportunity for a trade, but it will mean that the Eagles get the sixth best or sixth most desired non-quarterback, excuse me, uh, in the draft. I had felt before that they were going to go cornerback, but now that they've re-signed both of their cornerbacks, I tend to think not. So, But you, you did you, see Howie last year go non-positional need. And it the, the word just doesn't seem to fit with those three players, but they were deemed to be, quote-unquote, luxury picks because they didn't fit an immediate need. Guys who you knew were going to be sitting for their first year. Well, Davis wasn't, but their second and third round draft picks were. Both of them sat. Now both are expected to be starters in year number two, which is perfectly fine when it works out that way and good on Howie. But I don't know that at number 10, you're going to want to be taking a luxury pick, a guy like a cornerback that you say, all right, yeah, he's eventually going to step in, but – yeah, we're just going to have him sit on the bench here, number one. You don't usually try and do that with a pick that high. All right, so give me your short list. You got a short list? Of guys I think they'll take a 10? Yeah. Uh, he, the call is right. If Skoronsky is their guy and he's there and he's available, if you're uh, looking at both the way the players are rated and capabilities and the Eagles' track record, which is when in doubt, get into the trenches – 
yeah, that that's the guy. And he also mentioned the other one who I would put up in the top ten, who is the the Clemson edge player Murphy, uh, who's just a flat out speed guy who can get there. Oh wait, they have Derek Barnett coming back. I forgot. So <laughs> maybe maybe an edge guy. Yeah, I always seem to beat up on Derek Barnett. I I know I'm, I'm hey, a bad guy. One of seven guys left from the Super Bowl team. What if, really? What if he's the last one? That just would not seem right. No, that's not. There's no chance of happening. Yeah. None. Anyway, all right. Uh, one other quick football note, and I see we got a caller too. I want to get to uh, it, it, big kerfuffle Thursday. I guess it's kind of faded by now. That uh, Adam Schefter of ESPN reports Ezekiel Elliott is, and this is his words, deciding between the Bengals, Jets, and Eagles and wants to choose his team by the end of next week, which would now be the week we are currently entering. Uh, John Clark quickly reported soon after that, I am told as of right now the Eagles have no have not engaged in conversations with Ezekiel Elliott about joining the team and are happy about the running backs they have right now, which, by the way, does not say they're not going to talk to him. Um, so, Jody, the Cowboys released uh, Zeke earlier this month. They would have owed him $11 million, and they decided we're, we're not doing that. Uh, he d- had a pretty mediocre year last year. He averaged 3.8 yards a carry. Tony Pollard averaged 5.2 yards a carry behind the same line. He's got a lot of lot of mileage on him, 2,100 combined rushes and receptions. And you know what happens to running backs when they fall. I, did we lose Glenn, or did I drop? All right. Uh, I think Glenn's line dropped, uh, so I'll pick it up, and we'll try and reestablish with Glenn. Um, it's funny that you brought up Ezekiel. I was hoping we got a chance to talk about him at some point during the day. Uh, when, when that story broke the other day, I literally laughed out loud because I thought it was so blatantly obvious that what the play was here uh, that uh, and not everybody went down this road, but it's the road that I went down immediately. Oh, that was completely created by Ezekiel Elliott and uh, or whoever was leaking information to Adam Schefter for Ezekiel Elliott. That was a plea to get the Dallas Cowboys back to the table. That Zeke would prefer to stay with the Cowboys. All right, fine. He realizes that was a number that he was never going to get this year. I'm sure they negotiated with him to bring that cap number down. He didn't think that they'd actually pulled the plug, knew that it was going to be a hit or miss type thing. They decided to release him, which was the play to make. Uh, give, give the Cowboys credit. I know nobody likes to do that in this town, but they've actually done a nice job this offseason. They added two players that can help them um, uh, at both wide receiver and at cornerback, uh, veteran guys who've got good track records who they got for day three draft picks, which is not much to have to give up. Uh, so uh, I thought that I, I, I'm saying I think the Cowboys have had a pretty good offseason so far. Still a lot to, uh, yet to go. But I thought that was just obvious that he wants to scare the Cowboys a little bit. That, listen, we'll come back to the table with you guys. We couldn't work out a deal to cut my cap number this year and put back years on the back end that are never going to actually be seen, that he was going to play for less. And he miscalculated the Cowboys in the negotiation. But he wanted to get back to the table, so when in doubt, threatened that I'm going to go to the number one competition, the team you got to get by in the NFC East. If you want to win the division again, that would be the uh, Dallas Cow- uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, let me put the Eagles' name in the mix. 
Um, I don't see him as a fit for the Jets. That's the other team. The Cincinnati thing makes sense on a couple of levels. Number one, Joe Mixon's a pretty damn good back, the back that the Bengals have, but he's also a guy who's had uh, some off-field issues. So uh, that was a smart name to put. You could say former Ohio State guy. Uh, Yeah, he went a good back to Ohio. So he was just looking for narratives that he could sell himself as a potential landing spot. Oh, and let's put the Eagles in the mix, too. Because that way, that'll get the Cowboys nervous if, if Zeke comes in. And I don't think Zeke is as done as some other people do. Um, yeah, he had a, a mediocre year last year. The word Glenn used to describe it is accurate. But he did score 12 touchdowns. And there's something to be said for the ability to get it across the goal line. He's not the breakaway runner he once was. He's a, a limited type runner at this stage. But he does have a nose for the end zone, which is never a bad thing to have on your roster, less important for the Philadelphia Eagles because they got that Jalen Hurts guy who scores a bunch of rushing touchdowns himself. So there are other teams out there in the NFL that I think he could be a fit for if for no other reason, let's give it to him when we get down by the goal line. Um, I, you, you know, uh, with Glenn and I, for years, we had a back and forth between the Cowboys and the Eagles when 25 years ago I was a, a quasi-Cowboy fan. Um, the, the Cowboys used to have Emmett Smith. And they would just pound him down by the end zone and made Emmitt Smith one of the best backs in the history of the National Football League. Now, it cut down on the amount of touchdown passes that Roger Staubach threw because any time they got inside the 10, they just, with that big offensive line, pounded Emmitt Smith into the end zone. They did the same in Dallas this year with Ezekiel Elliott. So I think he's still got a skill that's worth contemplating. It's just not necessary for the Philadelphia Eagles. So when I heard that, ooh, that Ezekiel would like to get something done within a week and maybe it's the Cowboys that uh, maybe it's the Eagles that he could land with, no, I, I, I didn't see that as a possibility, and I thought it was pretty damn veiled, an attempt to get the Cowboys back into uh, the conversation. All right, uh, we will be trying to uh, get Glenn back up. We'll see if we can do that. If not, Jody Mack going to take your calls here. We had our two guests already today. Tom McCarthy was on with us, as was Tyler Kepner. So we've been talking baseball. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk Eagles. Sixers got beat last night. Yes, I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning, so I watched it. Not their best effort. Two straight losses on the road. Um, but, again, they're, they're in the position that they're in. They're probably not going to get the second in the East, even though earlier this week they did, by percentage points, get ahead of the Celtics. They've now fallen back a couple of games uh, if they do finish in the three spot. It's not the worst thing in the world. Would have preferred the two over the three, but um, they we knew when we looked at the end of the season schedule, it was going to be tricky coming down the stretch here um, so we can also keep the Sixers in the conversation. You tell me. Hit me up at uh, 215 9494. All right, Sunday morning here on WIP. It is usually Mac and Mac. Uh, Glenn's having some technical issues. We hope to get him back up in the next couple of minutes. But we get an hour and change left to roll with you guys today. And uh, we already punched up two baseball, good baseball guests Tyler Kepner, national writer for the New York Times, and of course, uh, our very own Tom McCarthy, uh, Phillies play by play guy here. Uh, so we got two good baseball guests' opinions on. I'll take your Phillies' opinions on the upcoming season. I'm being 100% honest. The Reese Hoskins loss, I think, is a pretty darn big one for the Phillies. Although I'm a Derek Hall guy and believe that he'll be able to fill in, they will be upgraded defensively. 
Not that Derek Hall's going to win a gold glove over at first base anytime soon, but just Reese Hoskins' uh, fielding had been so bad that there's only one direction to go but up. Um, but I just don't know that he's going to be able to be the consistently good as an inconsistent offensive contributor. He's going to hit home runs. He'll upgrade a little bit on defense. He's going to strike out more. And it's not like Reese doesn't strike out, but Hall's a bigger K waiting to happen than even Reese. And Reese does know how to work a pitcher, and he does get uh, plenty of walks, and that's why the Phillies have used him in the number two spot in the batting order as often as they have over the last couple of years from Girardi into Rob Thompson. So uh, Rob's got his work cut out for him, and you know how big a Rob Thompson fan I am. I did a phenomenal job last year, and he's going to have to earn his keep a little bit more this year because a couple of key guys that you just pencil in every single day, know they're going to be part of the lineup. Bryce Harper gone for a minimum of two months, or maybe less, or at least the Phillies were trying to lead us to believe that last week by saying they're not going to put him on the 60-day DL, which means he could be back by the end of May rather than sometime in July. If that happens, that's great news, but uh, we don't know that yet, and he's going to miss at least minimum the first seven weeks of the season. And now Hoskins done for the entire year. We knew it about Bryce. We didn't know about Reese. Yeah, I think it compromised the Phillies a little bit. Now, here's the beauty of it. Uh, you got the extra wild card team. They made it via the sixth wild card last year. Sixth playoff spot, third wild card team. I don't think it, it drops them down so bad that you now say, oh, it'd be an upset if they make the playoff. They're, they're very close to where they were. But if you were dreaming the dream of riding the momentum from last year's playoff run to be able to get past the Braves and or the Mets in the division, that's a little handicapped with the injury to Reese Hoskins and the uh, uh, lack of knowing where Ranger Suarez is at the beginning of the season is also uh, pretty disconcerting. So baseball does get underway. You know I love the baseball season. It's six months of just every single night being dedicated, watching the games, analyzing them afterwards. I'm ready for another baseball season. But the Phillies aren't as ready as they were about 10 days ago for the start of the baseball season. So, Philly fans, you want to get in and give me your thoughts on the upcoming season, do so now. 215-592-9494. Mike from Croydon, good enough to hop on the phone. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Uh, I hope you get Glenn back soon. Uh, Basically, uh, baseball is trying to up the offense with all the rule changes, right? They're looking to speed up the game, yes. Yes, and to create more offense by getting rid of the shift. That's that. true. But they've, done, they've done something that's going to work to the detriment of that, and that's the schedule. They're going to be playing everybody now. So mm-hmm. the way I understand it, there's one team in the American League will play twice, and they play everybody else once. So that's 14 teams you're going to play three times. So that's 42 different starting pitchers right there. And you play the rest of your that's not in your division twice as well. So that's 11 teams you only play two series against. And then you play, you know, the rest of the games, which is only about 50-some games against your, against your division. They're going to right. see over 100 different starting pitchers over the year. And hitter familiarity with a pitcher is a big advantage. That's why they pull pitchers after they go through the order twice. Understood. Um, and if your point is that 
if all these rule changes are to upgrade offense and give Major League Baseball more 8-7 games, a lot should do that, but this particular change will probably work in the opposite direction. You're right, it will. And Reed it's, is going it's, to get the best of them. It, it's, a, it's a very good point, but it's the same for everybody, isn't it? It's not like it affects one team more adversely than any of the others. It's the same exact Everybody, you're going to see hurdle more you have to get over. <laughs> I don't know strikeouts. about strikeouts, but uh, pr- probably less runs scored. But it's a balance. If if you are upgrading the offense because pitchers aren't going to be able to take their time out there on the mound and the fact that the shift is coming out and guys are going to hit for higher average, well, we do something a little uh, to bounce the scale. We don't need to go overtly over the top that everything's got to be about the offense and we want to see 10-9 games. If there's a balance, you know why they did it? Because they want to have it as fair as possible, a balanced schedule. If you happen to be in a division where everyone else has crumbled in a given year and you're playing that many games against them, yeah, you can run away and hide and have the best record in the league and then those advantages going into the postseason. It worked for the Astros last year. It didn't work in the National League where the Phillies beat teams with better regular season records than them. Uh, Overall, I think the rule changes are pretty balanced and should help the game overall. Well, I don't think it's going to increase the offense, and I think when they eventually— Who said said it had to all be about the offense? That the sole goal of Major League Baseball— That's what they claimed the rule changes were about. Who claimed that? Major League Baseball, get, oh, you know, getting okay. rid of the shift. You don't want to attach a name to it. I don't remember Rob Manford ever saying, we're making changes in our rules during this offseason for one sole purpose, to get more runs scored per game. I, I don't okay. think anybody has ever said that. I think that's an assumption on your part, and I don't think it's outrageous. I'm just saying shift if illegal. it isn't as balanced as it was, that's a good thing. The, the rules for the rules of baseball forever were everybody other than the catcher has to be in fair territory. Other than that, you can put them anywhere you want. Mike, I get it. I, I get your <laughs> I get your point. Here's where we disagree. You think that every rule change this off season should have been about getting more runs scored? I don't. If they, that's, I didn't think they should have changed the rules at all in terms of the oh, shift. Okay. I think they should all have right. Kept so the shift. they they just should have. Uh, how about the pitch clock? Do you think that's uh, I, I, unnecessary as well? I think that's a well? good idea because batters have all turned into Mark, Mike Hargrove. Okay. So uh, <laughs> the, the aesthetically pleasing aspect works for you, but how it actually is going to affect the game and whether run scoring would be up or down, uh, that doesn't seem to uh, – you, you have a specific direction you think that it should have gone in. Here's the reason why I'm at least – optimistic about the baseball rule changes, and it's something that happened within the last week. Before they ever got through spring training, they already had a uh, high-level meetings with guys and players commenting and taking input from absolutely everybody in baseball for the ability to tweak how they are going to handle the rule changes. Major League Baseball did not come down with just a, a hammer and tongue and say, these are the rule changes. This is what we expect everybody to do. And if it doesn't improve the game, it doesn't work. Tough toenails. you got to do it for an entire year, and then we'll evaluate the end of the season. No, they've been very open-minded about this stuff, that, that, that there is some flexibility and subjectivity, which will be decided by the umpires on the field, as to how to implement these rules. And the fact that while they're going through it in spring training, 
wanting to get it as firmed up as possible going into opening day, I think shows a real open-mindedness, which I like greatly. I think that baseball has done a nice job. They're, they're being preactive rather than reactive, proactive rather than reactive. It's a good thing, but they're also leaving open the possibility that, hey, just because we came up with this, it might not play out exactly the way we thought it was. So why don't we just continue to evaluate, continue to take input from everybody involved, and try and uh, get it to a position where it uh, accomplishes what we want it to accomplish. I think baseball's actually handled the rule changes pretty damn well this offseason. Rob from Doyle Sounds up on 94 WIP. Hey, Rob. I'm uh, doing a mind dredge, trying to remember the uh, picture that was referred to as the human r- rain delay. Steve Traxel. <laughs> he was as slow and deliberate as anybody I can ever remember pitching. About it's funny that uh, about ten days ago you and I had a conversation about Derek Hall and uh, Scott Kingery. I was hoping the Phillies would give them a chance uh, to have an impact, and uh, now Hall's going to get his chance. Uh, where do you think they're going to bat him in the in the uh, batting order? My guess would be five or six if he's in against a left-handed pitcher, and. I think they're going to give Hall a chance to become basically their everyday first baseman. Now, if he gets out of the gate two for 24 against left-handers, oh, that's going to stop. They they will make that call because his history is coming through the minors and even for the limited bats he got against left-handers last year uh, were not good. So he is a definitely split guy, better against righties than lefties. They'll give him a chance to prove that maybe this year every day out there – um, gets into a groove that he'll get to play against lefties. But if he's not, then they're going to have alternatives to uh, uh, first base. Maybe they move Boehm over. Maybe they play Sosa third against tough left-handers. That's two right-handed bats. I think he could bat as high as five against uh, righties, but he's going to be uh, six and or on the bench against lefties. Uh, do you think that uh, uh, they might move uh, – um... Uh, who's the left fielder? Um, that would be Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber. Do you think they'll move him to first base? I think everything. So I think so everything many... is open. I think that Schwarber to first is a possibility. I think Bohm uh, sliding over to first is a possibility. Edmundo Sosa seems to be able to play absolutely everywhere. So if you don't want to move Bohm off third, which that would not be my way of handling it. If you can get Sosa in a more important defensive position like third, I would rather move Bohm and put Sosa third than just put Sosa first. Oh, I think everything's on the table. I I, I don't think they're just going to hammer Derek Hall in first base, leaving there. He's going to become Reese Hoskins from the left-hand side. Uh, I think it, it will be a continued evaluative process. Thanks, Jody. You got it, Rob. Thank you for the call. And your boy, Scott Kingry, has still got a shot at making the team. Not a given, and I would say the fact that Edmundo Sosa has looked pretty good defensively. And again, I, we, we, we only have so much availability to Phillies preseason games when they're on NBC Sports, Philadelphia, or if they're on the NML, MLB Network. I certainly am in front of the TV and watching and evaluating. Uh, but the people I've talked to who are down there covering them every single day during the spring say, He's actually looked surprisingly efficient 
in center field. Every once in a while, he breaks badly on a ball. Um, but he is, has made the transition to outfield pretty darn well. And as I, I said earlier when we had Tyler Kepner on, I thought of Edmundo Sosa as a 250th bat guy before the season started. I thought he was going to play for the Phillies because he is going to—he's—he he is their basic backup middle infielder right now. Stott needs a day off. Sosa plays second base. Turner needs a day off, and I don't think they're going to be all that many of them if he stays healthy. I think he's going to play like 155. But when he does need a day, it's going to be Sosa. When Bohm needs a day, it's going to be Sosa. Well, now you add the fact that Hoskins is out. Bohm could be moving back and forth. And he has kind of established himself as the right-handed backup center fielder. But Edmundo Sosa is guaranteed to get 350 at-bats. The question is, is it going to be above 400? He could turn out to be a very important player for the Phillies this upcoming season. All right, Jody Mack, hang with you here on 94 WIP. We are effing getting Glenn Mack now back up uh, and uh, hooked up for the final hour of our Sunday get-together if not, it's just you and I on the phone lines. We've already talked to our two guests. So the final hour is all calls. Upcoming Philly season, Eagles free agency, kind of slim pickings on the defensive side. Are they doing enough after the players they lost via free agency? Sixers lose two in a row on a West Coast swing. Now a little distance between them and the Celtics for the second place in the East. And, hey, even the Fly guys have gotten points in five straight games. Did catch a little of yesterday's game. Carter Hart with damn good, and the Nets for the Flyers. So I'm always ready to go four for four with you guys on the phone lines, whichever you want to bring up. Do it now on the phones. You've got me at 215-592-9494. Mac and Mac, guys, down a Mac, but hoping to get Glenn back here very soon on 94WIP. Sunday morning get-together here on 94 WIP. It is the Mac and Mac show. Jody McDonald with Glenn Mac now. Uh, Glenn's got some uh, internet issues uh, broadcasting remotely. So if and when he gets them worked out, he will rejoin me. We'll go to 1 o'clock when you get Phillies baseball. Only a handful of preseason games left before the Thursday opener in the Lone Star State against the Texas Rangers. Uh, just had a caller last segment, in case you're just tuning in, who was bemoaning the fact that he doesn't like the new Major League Baseball balance schedule, that they're going to play more American League teams, which means teams that you don't usually see, which means pitchers you're not used to. Oh, by the way, Philly's opening day, going to get Jacob DeGrom, a guy they've seen plenty. Uh, that will not be enough for the Phillies to uh, guarantee themselves eight runs because of familiarity with Jacob DeGrom. It's a bad thing facing Jacob DeGrom because he's one of the most talented pitchers in baseball and has moved uh, from the National League to the American League. Yeah, we thought we were getting away from Jacob DeGrom from Philly perspective with him leaving the Mets. No such luck. They'll get him on opening day against the Rangers. Um, but he was saying that it, it, it cuts down on the advanced offense of Major League Baseball because of the new schedule. Yeah, it might, but they did a bunch of other rule changes that could add to the offense. I think it all evens itself and balances itself out over the course of time. Uh, we can talk Phil's for sure because opening day is now just four days away. Uh, any of the Eagles stuff as their offseason continues, as I said to Glenn earlier, I, I'm okay with their filling in the crevices free agent signings, not not moving the needle was the uh, phrase Glenn used in asking me about it. Uh, I like Justin Edmonds, the safety that they signed. Solid guy, um, been a starter in the league. 
the thing that surprises me, if you uh, check his grades, Pro Football Focus, uh, the, the, the talk and the belief and the scattering report around him uh, throughout the league, good box safety, good tackling safety, even a guy who can bring a little bit of a pass rush from the safety position, not necessarily a cover guy. And last year, the Eagles tried to get a lot of coverage out of their safeties. That was the prerequisite to play the position in Jonathan Gannon's defense. Maybe it'll change a little bit under Sean Desai. Uh, So Eagles uh, will always go to if you want to on the phones. And the Sixers uh, get beat the last two nights in Golden State and beat with a big game. Give the Warriors, specifically Poole, some credit for making some big shots. Could have won the game, didn't win the game. The Warriors are, of course, defending NBA champions, but they've been a uh, easy team to read this year, even if it's tough to understand. Really good at home, really bad on the road. They're like one of the worst teams in the NBA on the road, which doesn't make sense, a team that's coming off an NBA championship run. But they have been very good at home, and that's where the Sixers got beat in uh, San Francisco the other night. And then went to Phoenix last night and got uh, handled by the Suns, ran out of gas in the second half which is only a quasi-viable excuse. I know Doc Rivers took some grief, and I gave it to him, too, uh, for his comment earlier in the season when after a uh, bad loss, he said, well, this is a schedule loss, that uh, the way they lay out the schedule, we, we knew we were up against it. We're, that's, that's too easy an explanation. That's an excuse more than anything else. You could say last night was a schedule loss. You're on the West Coast. You got to play in San Francisco, get on a plane, play the very next night after having to fly down to Phoenix to take on the Suns. But, oh, by the way, the Suns did the same exact thing. Night before, they were in Sacramento, had to fly home. Now, at least they were flying home. Sixers were flying to a hotel, so it's not exactly the same, but it wasn't like the Suns were waiting for two days for the Sixers to show up to play the back end of a uh, back-to-back. Uh, yeah, not, not, not a good effort out of the Sixers last night. And when James Harden is not on the floor, they're just not as good a team. And they're being a little uh, protective of Harden and the injuries that he's dealing with. If they don't finish second in the East, it'll be a setback. If it comes down to here's when you get back to me. that uh, Jody Baxter said it wasn't a big deal that they didn't finish second. If they win their first-round game and Boston wins their first-round uh, opponent in the playoffs – and they're playing in round number two, and it's game seven, and it's up in Boston, and the Sixers lose, then call me back and go, hey, Jody, you told us it wasn't that big a deal that they finished second. All right, I'll, I'll eat it then. But up until then, I'll stay with, yeah, Harden's health and making sure he's ready for the playoffs is more important than the Sixers finishing second over Boston in the Eastern Conference. So Sixer fans wouldn't mind hearing from you. We'll take calls to the top of the hour before Philly's Orioles today down in uh, Florida as they wrap up spring training. Get on my phone lines now, 215-592-9494. Or you can tweet the show at Jody McMahon, J-O-D-Y-M-A-C-M-A-N. And I do want to read you this tweet because it's one that I don't mind getting. We all make mistakes, right? Uh, Everybody makes mistakes. I couldn't pick out the Budweiser in the beer test that I had on Glenn's What's Brewing show. I copped to it. All right, that's my bad. I've been a Bud guy my entire life, and then given a chance at a blind taste test, I couldn't tell that Bud was better than Pabst Blue Ribbon. My bad. Uh, This one is my bad as well, and I don't mind getting these kind of tweets. If I get something wrong, if I make a mistake, feel free to call me on the carpet, and I will correct myself. I appreciate it. 
just do so without getting nasty about it. Every once in a while, that, that's one of the knocks on social media. It can just be stone cold nasty. People like to troll and like to give you a hard time. Here's a guy who's just giving me a correction, and I appreciate it. Ain't trick enough if you got it. Um, with uh, an offbeat spelling, but I, I, I do get it. Um, Jody Mac, Roger Staubach, question mark. I know you were just making sure we were on our toes. You really meant Troy Aikman's TD passes were cut down by Emmett Smith's rushing touchdowns. My man, love the show. You guys are the best. See, now that's a guy who's just pointing out a slip of the tongue there, McDonald, which is exactly what it was. Of course, I meant Troy Aikman's touchdown passes were down when Emmett Smith was scoring 12, 14, 16 touchdowns in a given season. Emmett Smith and Roger Storbeck were never on the field at the same time. That's just a uh, slip of the tongue for former Cowboy quarterbacks. If I goof something up, feel free to tell me on Twitter, at Jody McMahon, J-O-D-Y-M-A-C-M-A-N. Just do so with a little class, like my boy, at Al Lex, all Lex, A-L-L-E-X-X-X-215 did. Appreciate the correction. Ed from Havertown's on the phones, and he's up on 94 WIP. Hey, Ed. Hey, hey, Jody. It's good to hear your voice, man. Thanks, buddy. You know, I I wanted to talk to you about the baseball, the new rule changes and everything. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, I'm around your age. I'm like, I'm going to be 60 in June. And the thing that bothers me, I don't know how I feel about it. I won't know how I feel about it until I see a whole year of it. The one thing I don't like, I hope they change, is the, the, the extra innings. I'm out at the extra innings. I have not watched one extra inning game last year. Starting a, a runner at second base with no out is just ridiculous. As far as the base pads, okay, you know, they want they want the double plays to be clearer, I guess. I don't know. They don't want people to get hurt, slide it in, <clears throat> collisions. I don't know. But the shift. You know, you played baseball as I do. I know your father was a GM for the Mets. Mm-hmm. I know you were a big baseball player when you were a kid. Me too, and I played at high levels. We learned how to hit the whole field. And what I feel baseball is doing is catering to a new generation, a generation that's different than ours because, dude, when we were kids, we used to play five aside, close off right field. You don't see that ever. In any of the fields, when you're driving through the city, when you're driving through the suburbs, you hardly see kids playing pickup basketball anymore. You see it in Havertown here, but, you know, in the city. But, you know, I don't see it like when we were kids. We loved the game. We learned how to hit the all fields. I don't know about taking this shift away. That's a defensive thing. All right. Let let me – Eddie, you make a good point, but let me ask you a question. Sure. As a guy of similar age, we're both uh, mm-hmm. with the first number of six. I'm there. You're getting there I rapidly. Uh, do you remember the last NFL undefeated team? Yeah, the last NFL undefeated team a whole season was the Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins. The, all-time, yeah, great, right. all-time great team, right? How, uh, much, they, how, much, yeah. how much did they pass the football? Oh, Greece would average maybe 20 passes a game. If that. The right. Mercury Morris... Uh, Zonka, Jim Kick, they ran it down other teams' throats. Same with the Redskins. And that was how they won uh, a championship and went undefeated in the year. And guess what? The NFL changed. Even though the Dolphins were the last undefeated team in Mm -hmm. the, the National Football League, it evolved. 
It changed. Okay. The game Can changes, and baseball is doing the same here. May I interject something sure. there? Yeah. The NFL changed. The, the coaches changed the way they – the dynamics of the game. The NFL did not say pass the ball more. Okay, they changed the dynamics of the game. That started changing when Montana came into the league. And well, do you, had, hold on. Oh, 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 let me, let, we'll go back and forth here. Do you not true. believe that the NFL, with its rule changes and the way they did or didn't allow defensive backs to play wide receivers, oh, helped absolutely. to push the NFL in a passing direction? Okay, yes, I do agree. You're, you're absolutely right with that. But the, the cutoff the shift. Is it's a defensive play that the other teams should be able to play defense how they want to play it. And as far as the extra innings go, you can't tell me you look. Yeah, you, you and I are you and I are one hundred percent. Ed, good call, and I appreciate the back and forth. Yeah, I can't stand the ghost runner. Uh, it just it's terrible. And hopefully, baseball will rethink that because I think a big part of that was the fact that extra inning games could go as long as they do, and you're at the park, both players and fans, till the wee hours of the morning if a game goes that long. Well, you've already shortened the game by instituting the pitch clock. So now those extra inning games that might go an extra inning or two more than you'd actually prefer, yeah, it's not going to be as big a deal because the game is shorter to begin with. So uh, the, the ghost runner, in my estimation, was never good. Now that's just a pure... You are changing the rules for something that doesn't necessarily make the game better. It just makes it quicker. The shift that you can argue actually makes it better because it's going to enable hitters to get more base hits, and it's going to give you more runs scored, and it's going to make the game a little bit more exciting. Uh, I'm not saying I love it, but I understand why they've taken the steps that they have to take the shift out of baseball. You, you, you're never going to win me over with ghost runners. That's, that's just making it up as you go along. I need you guys to make it up on my telephone lines. I haven't gotten GMAC reconnected yet, so if it's you and I on the phones for the final 45, right now i got wide open lines. You can get on in a hurry if you dial. 215-592-9494. Jody Mack, Glenn Mack now hopefully back here on 94WIP. All right, Jody Mack here with you on 94WIP. I hear we were dangerously close to getting Glenn McDowell back, uh, and hopefully that is the case before the show comes and goes. we still got 35 minutes left before Phillies baseball right here on 94 WIP today. When Glenn rejoins, we will punch him back up. Until then, it's you and I. And- I'm, I'm sorry. Hi, Jody. How are Hello, you? Hello, Glenn. How are you, buddy? So, neighborhood prop. Oh, there he goes again. Um. I I did get the last uh, word. He said neighborhood problems. So it sounds like power outages around and about Glenn's neighborhood is having an adverse effect on his Internet connection. Yeah, Uh, I am not guaranteeing it won't happen again. I've been dealing with uh, my cable carrier over that amount of time, and they said it was actually a neighborhood problem. And so I'm back on this, although my computer doesn't seem to be back on, so I'm not sure if I have the call screener yet. And I apologize to you, and I apologize to our listeners for the inconvenience of all this, but I imagine you've been uh, saying brilliant things. Yes, I I have faked it as well (laughs) as humanly possible in your absence. Uh, Uh, We're certainly glad to have you back, and uh, hopefully it stays that way for the final 35 minutes we got to go. 
Okay. Um, so what have you been talking about? <laughs> a little bit. Because I got thing. things I want to say, but I don't want to just repeat well, no, what no, you've been no, doing. Please feel free. Get in, get in what you need to get in, and I'll tell you what we haven't, haven't touched on over the final 35 minutes here. Okay. Well, I, I, had, a, I, I had a lot of uh, Phillies questions that I wanted to ask you and ask our listeners at the same time. Um, kind of, it was almost like a 20 questions of things. Uh, and so I'm going to start by asking you a few of those, if I may. Go for and, it. And so here's the first one. How much can we believe that Nick Castellanos will bounce back this year and be the Nick Castellanos that we thought we were getting a year ago? I, I am less optimistic about that than it sounds to me. And, and it's the same thing being asked of all the uh, uh, Philly announcers and guys who covered the team and uh, everyone else. Oh, yeah, everybody is is banking on Castellanos becoming more like the final season Cincinnati Red Castellanos than the first season in Philly Pinstripe Castellanos. He's got to be better because it was a pretty significant drop-off last year. The power was way down. Hitting was down. We always knew he wasn't going to be a great defensive outfielder. He's still not like not like that has improved. We actually saw improvement from Bowman at third base last year, uh, not necessarily Castellanos. And I'm discounting the couple of very nice sliding catches he made yeah. both late in the season and the postseason. Th- yeah, that was the exception, uh, not the rule. Yeah, that's for the residue of luck. Fielding. Yeah, yeah I uh, agree. agreed. Um, I think he'll be better, but 30 home run, 95 RBI better? I'm not ready to go there yet, Mac. I'm not either, and that's the guy you thought you were getting, and I'm, I am a little concerned about that. Uh, now, I do believe there is, there is a pattern of – um, free agents go to a new market, particularly a demanding market, and need a year to adjust with teams. We saw that. Listen, Reese, uh, not Reese Hoskins, excuse me, Bryce Harper got booed in his first year here. He got off to a you know bad start, and it didn't happen. So maybe Castellanos rebounds to what he was, but I, I haven't seen. He's hit some runs, some home runs this spring, which is somewhat encouraging. But yeah. I'd I'd put the over under at twenty three home runs, whatever eighty five RBI somewhere around that. So and if it they get like that out of him, that's under. not bad because it it's trending upwards. But I'm just getting the feeling, and this is all perception. Uh, I'm speaking for too many people here. I get uncomfortable when I do that, but that's part of our job. Is we have to uh, incorporate everyone else's opinions and react to it. I've I've heard too much. Castellanos is going to be huge for the Phillies this year. He's going to return to his former uh, all-star level offensive type numbers. I'm not as optimistic as some other people are. All right, let me ask you one more, and then we'll go to the callers. We've got some callers on hold here. Um, And this one is particularly relevant, given that Ranger Suarez isn't going to be starting the season, or we're not sure how he's going to be starting the season, and that uh, Andrew Painter is not going to be here anytime soon. Can Bailey Falter be a reliable fourth starter? Yes, I I like Falter. Uh, I'm a Falter fan, and as I've continually said here, I thought the Phillies put a little too much on Andrew Painter's plate at the beginning of the year. I didn't think they needed to force feed him. I thought the Phillies had five legit starters, if Ranger Suarez were to be healthy, um, that it wasn't a necessity. Now, if he comes into spring training and has six outings and he gives up no runs, all right, you're not going to just send him out because we've already predetermined. 
open-mindedness that was nice, but the fact that they said the spot is his for the taking, I thought was actually a little unfair to falter. I thought he was damn solid second half of the season, specifically the last month. I think he'll be just fine in what is now the number four spot. If uh, Rangers going to start the year on the DL or IL, excuse me, um, he gets moved up to the four spot. I'm good with that. I think he's going to do a good job for the Phillies this year in the rotation. Okay. Well, I hope you're right on that. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Robert in Germantown. You're on with Jody and Glenn. At least I think so, as long as I'm still here. Hi, Robert. Hey, guys. Beautiful afternoon outside after those rainy days. Yeah, it is. It's spring. It's baseball time. Yes, it is. And that's what I wanted to talk about. You know, I I can't in good conscience really call this baseball anymore, guys. I I grew up with uh, a different game. I think – you know, it had back to do about elegance and teamwork and knowing how to bunt and hit and run. And now it's about speed and power. And I, I don't mind the long games. I hate the ghost runner. I loved going to Chicago back in the day when it was just afternoon games where they didn't have lights. To me, that's baseball. What we have well, today, you're going to miss out. Let's go through them one at a time. Because some sure. of your some of your objections, I, I'm with you and some not. And, and I will say... Every sport evolves, right? If you watch the NFL from 30 years ago, it's not the same NFL. If you watch the NBA, NHL, any sport, it's not the same sport it was 30 years ago. Some things are better, some things are worse. I understand that you miss afternoon games at Wrigley. That ain't coming back. So you got to let that one go. Um, As far as the small ball aspect of it, I do think you will see somewhat of a return to that with the new rules outlawing the shift being the biggest one. It ain't going to go to, you know, Pee Wee Reese sacrificing Jackie Robinson, but I do think we're going to see more emphasis on moving the runner on stealing a base. You mentioned speed. I don't, I think there's not enough speed in the game. I think we're going to get back to some speed, some stealing a base. I'm encouraged about that. Um, but games evolve, and if baseball's new rules are what I hope they can be, I think the game's going to have a big rebound this year. Jody, why don't you chime in there? It's funny because that was uh, – I'm sure we got that call because of one of the calls I took when uh, your internet was down about the fact that he didn't like uh, a lot of what was changing. The caller didn't like uh, a lot of what was changing in baseball. That the shift is just a created aspect that it's not truly baseball. And I said – it's not like we haven't seen sports change the way no. they have their games. They, they they used to be able to be able to mug a wide receiver all the way down the field until the ball got in the air. And then the NFL said, you know, maybe if we score more points, we'll be a more exciting product. So why don't we readjust our rules? It happens in sports all the time. And I would suggest that the NFL game is more exciting because they have put an emphasis on offense through the way they legislate with the referees week in and week out. And baseball's just doing the same thing here. I, I got no issues with it. Well, I'm not disagreeing with you guys totally, but evolution by itself, per se, is not always 100% a good thing. No. You go well, too but fast, that, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. But, Robert, that's why what they're doing now is trying to bring back some of those elements that I think that I miss that I think you miss. I mean, if you think baseball was better, whatever, 10 years ago, however many years ago, I think they've realized that the emphasis of Moneyball and and everything that followed has basically taken a lot of the fun out of the game, and they're trying to put it back. So 
Hopefully you will enjoy the game more this year than you have. I'm very encouraged that we will. Um, I think a lot of those things, the speed of the game is going to be better. I think, Jody, getting rid of the shift is a great idea. I know there are some people who object to it. You and I have talked about it. I think the shift was one of the things that just really hurt the game. Although now you've seen some teams have figured out they're going to trump some of these doing outfield shift. Yeah, which, oh, by the way, will only emphasize the thing that baseball has proven that hitters can't do. Now you're leaving an even bigger gap. You're just putting it in the outfield rather than in the infield. If a guy can go the other way, hit the ball down the line, he can stand up on third base. There'll, there'll be no one there who can run the ball down quickly enough to keep even a decent runner from circling the bases to get a stand-up triple. Yeah. Larry in the Northeast is with it. Oh, it's been a long time, Larry. Hello? Hey, Larry. How are you? Oh, it's different, Larry. Hey, how are you? What's on your mind? I'm talking about the Phillies. Okay. What do you got? Um, so I think they should put Hall at first base. Because if they may put Schwarber, then I'm just going to mess up the outfield. I don't think they're going to put Schwarber at first base. I, I, Jody, I don't know if that came up when I wasn't here, but I, I haven't heard that conversation of you. It didn't, um, but I, I just disagree with his premise. If, if let's say Hall struggles and he's just not ready and it was kind of a flash in the pan what he did offensively this year and three weeks into the season, Hall's hitting a buck 25. Well, you got to do something. Somebody's got to play first base. And I think more logical would be to move Bohm from third to first. But if they don't want to do that, Schwarber is a logical candidate. And it isn't like, oh, my God, we're going to lose Kyle Schwarber's defense in left field. Uh, no, you'll actually get better if a cave is out there, uh, if someone else is playing left field. It will actually increase their, their their defensive metrics. And Schwarber has played first base before. Again, much like Hall, I don't think you're going to get gold glove first base play over there. But can he actually be worse than what Hoskins was at first base? I, I do think it's a potential outcome this year that Schwarber plays some significant first place for the Phillies. Not first choice. But a plan B could be just that. Hey, I would think about playing Real Muto out there 30, 40 games. Now, I don't know if you're going to get the same production from Garrett Stubbs as you did last year. That was that was a very fun surprise and nice and so on. But I also think that uh, it helps preserve Real Muto's career, right? I mean, we know catchers, as they get older, you've, you know, will we'll shift to other positions, third base, first base, left field. And I think if you can play him, you know, once, twice a week at first base, maybe in that platoon situation, it's not a bad idea if Stubbs can hold up his end of it. Not impossible, but uh, it's funny that you went there. Um, I, I did a couple of team previews for the upcoming baseball season uh, on my CBS show last night. I'm doing a couple more tonight, one of which was uh, the Texas Rangers, who the Phillies are playing to open up the season, and their two big additions this offseason were Jacob deGrom. Phillies thought they were avoiding him by getting him to the American League. Yeah. Now, sure enough, <laughs> they got to face him opening day <laughs> against the Texas Rangers. That's Thank right. you very much. That's right. And the other big addition for the uh, Rangers this year for me is Bruce Bochy in the dugout. I think Bochy is uh, one of the best managers in baseball over the last 25, 30 years, and I never really bought the whole retirement thing when he stepped away from the Giants. I just didn't see him coming back to the Rangers, but that's where he ended up landing. I had Bruce on – Eight years ago, ten years ago, when I was doing shows for Sirius XM's MLB Network Radio. 
and I asked him about giving catchers a day off from behind the plate without giving them a day off, DH days, and or playing them someone else, somewhere else. And Bochy himself is a former major league catcher, and he said, I've run that by the guy. He had Buster Posey when he was out there in San Francisco, and every once in a while he'd go down and play first base. Mm-hmm. And he said, they really don't look at it as a day off when they go play in the field. That, that going out into the field, a DH day is, is almost a half a day off. A day off certainly is a day off. But playing another position, you've got to get keep your mind in the game. There really isn't that big a drop-off. They worry more playing a position they're not accustomed to. That he didn't think it was near as big a deal. That if you're giving a guy a half a day off and just not making him crouch 200 times over the course of a game, that moving them to first base wasn't as much of a a, a letting up on the uh, ask on a day-in, day-out basis. I remember Bochy telling me that. That's well, so funny because I just talked about him last night on my CBS show. I will defer to him on that. Yeah, you and he, I both. <laughs> right. He knows. He, he played in the majors. He's managed in the majors. He was a catcher when he played. So I guess I'll give him a little credence on that. So, well, it seemed like a great idea at the time. Who Sorry about that. I, I can't did, argue with Bruce mean to rain on your parade there, Mac Man. Let <laughs> me this way. I'd ask Real Muto if he has any interest in that. Exactly. Maybe he, dis- oh, no, maybe yeah, he disagrees with Bochi. Exactly right. He, and he's the only one that matters. If right. he really looks at it as a, hey, you don't know, anytime I don't have to get down there by I don't play. Yeah, that's a good thing by me. If it works for Real Muto, it's absolutely something the Phillies should consider this year. Yeah, and he had such a great year last year, man. He is such an important part. There, um, I think the Inquirer did a piece this week on w- w- after Hoskins got hurt, like who are the most irreplaceable guys on the Phillies. I think it had Hoskins at five or six. I would think Real Muto's number one. Uh, if uh, the the only guy I would potentially put ahead of him, and no, I. Uh, I agree with you. I think Real Muto is the most irreplaceable guy they have. Right. If it's not him, though, it'd probably be Trey Turner, which sounds so weird because he hasn't officially played a game yet for the Phillies. He's only played in spring training, but he is going to be a hundred. If he stays healthy, 155 game shortstop, he's going to be their leadoff guy. You talk about guys who I think can uh, have phenomenal offensive numbers. I'll guarantee you right now, you want to make another side bet? I'll give you Nick Castellanos. I'll take Trey Turner for who hits more home runs this year. You want that bet? Mm, no, I don't want. Yeah, that I didn't bet. think. I so. think that's. I think it's. I think that's both in the like the low to mid twenties. So I don't. I, that that's too either or for me. I think Turner could hit thirty this year. That would be something. Steal thirty, yeah. hit 30, 30, 30 man. No, about uh, 20, 25 stolen bases, which will get the overall increase to Major League Baseball to only 9%, not 10. <laughs> I know what you're rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> right, let me sneak in one or two more baseball questions then, because this is fun. Um, if Bryce Harper is back in June. June? How we... about May? They're talking May last week, Mac. Oh, uh, fine. I then, then I was I was saying the end of May, begin early June. Fine, May. Okay, let's say uh, Memorial Day. Okay. Yep. Can we get in a hundred games, twenty homers, sixty-five RBIs? Absolutely. Ooh. If that's like the it. number, if if you are correct in how many games missed and how many games well, played, I mean, pretty much, if, right? April, if, May, you play almost right. a game a day. Sure. So Absolutely right. If if Bryce Harper gets in a hundred games. 25 homers, 75 RBIs is still a possibility, yes. All right. Uh, let's get in one more. Last year, 
The Phillies bullpen had an ERA of 427 Oof. in five, 521 innings. That's a lot of innings. Yep. Um, they allowed 49 homers. By the way, the starters last year had an ERA of 380. It's not many teams, I would think, where the starters have a lower ERA than the relievers, but there you go. With the additions of Matt Strom and Craig Kimbrell and Gregory Soto, can the Phillies drop that bullpen ERA down a good half run? Let's put the over under at 377. Ooh, half run is good. You set the number well. Um, yeah, I should be a bookie. Or yeah, an odds you maker. could. I, know. Uh, I can't win when I bet, but I'm good at making <laughs> the odds. I'll optimistically say yes. I do like the Phillies bullpen coming into the season, and I give Dombrowski a ton of credit for that. Now it blows up in my face. Both Dave and I are going to be wrong. That's fine. Um, it's the hardest thing that a general manager has to do year in and year out. I absolutely agree. Is project bullpen because there is such inconsistency. Absolutely. There are so few guys that put up the same numbers year in and year out. The three two five ERA. It doesn't go up to five. It doesn't go down to one point nine. It just stays at three point two five. Nobody does that in baseball no, anymore. No, no, no relief pitcher does that. So you're just hoping you tab the right guy on the right year that he's trending in the right direction. And I think he's done that. I think he's got a couple of guys that I would project and predict do just that. Okay, I like it. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We come back. We'll uh, maybe grab a call. Talk a little bit more. Find out what we forgot to talk about from Francisco Rojas and send you forward to Phillies baseball. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Uh, you just reminded me during the break, big, big event in television tonight, Jody Mack. Yes, the return of succession to the 9 o'clock spot on HBO. Uh, it might be my favorite show on television over the last five years, which the first episode I watched, I was like, see, which is good because you've taught me this. Don't ever give up after the first episode. I've done that before and then mm -hmm. had to go back and go, all right, well, maybe give another shot. Uh, I, I, It was just so difficult to watch because every single character was dislikable. There wasn't one character that you could sit. All right, well, I'll be looking for this guy. I like this guy. I'll root for this guy. Every cousin, single cousin, one of them were bad. Yeah, Cousin Greg, I don't know. Who <laughs> is, no, he's to a use dope. a word I think I've heard you use before, just a doofus. He's, he's a the doofus. biggest doofus on the planet. Uh, and he's the only one who's got any redeemable qualities. Yeah. But they just play so well off each other. It's, it's such a tremendously well-written show. I think I told you this a couple of weeks ago. I turned Big Daddy onto it when it first uh, hit HBO. And he, too, fell in love with the show. So uh, great to get Succession back tonight. I'll, I'll be on the air till 10 from 10 to 11. Guaranteed the DVR will be rolling. And I'll be watching the first episode of the final season, which bums me yeah, out. Yeah, final this season. Is their final season. Uh, you know what I like because they're gonna they're gonna end before it, it gets lame. I think that's a good thing. Um, real quick for you, and then I want to go over to Francisco Rojas for what we forgot to talk about. I was talking TV with Mike yesterday, uh, Mike Sealski, and I just started watching Band of Brothers, believe it or not, which came out in two thousand one, and I didn't watch it back then because it came out right after nine eleven, and I just I, like I wasn't up for something like that at that time. And I'm watching it because I'm going to France later this year. I'm going to visit Normandy, and I figured this seems the time to do it. And I love it, four episodes in. But quick question for you. Is there a show that's like a great show that you know you never watched that someday you'll get to it? 
off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Okay. There, right. there really isn't. Right. You know That's... where? You know what I was like about that? Um, now, this, again, we'll be showing our age. Um, 24. Do you remember when 24 first yeah. hit? Oh, sure. I missed the first year. I missed the first couple episodes. I didn't have DVR set up. I had still VCR at the time, and I just forgot to set it and then didn't have on-demand. So I go, all right, well, and I'm not going to try and uh, pick it up two episodes in. So I'll bag the whole season, and I'll pick it up next year. And then the year after that, I missed the first couple episodes. Same exact thing again. Got caught up. Didn't right. see him. All right, well, well. And by the time it got to season three, and it was so tremendously acclaimed, I had to go to the library and get the DVRs <laughs> to just plug in to watch uh, on my uh, the olden days. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I did. I took like a week of my life to get caught up on all the previous episodes and then watched it from there on in. So yeah. I know exactly the question you're asking. Uh, and I did that with 24, but I don't have what you like got that there. Now. Yeah, all right. I did. All right. Let us go to Francisco Rojas. We got a minute or two. What do we forget to talk about? All right, so a couple quick hitters here before the show ends. So did you guys see uh, Debo Samuel last night uh, at the Sixers-Suns game? He was sitting courtside. Uh, he was be- wearing these gigantic red boots. I mean, they were ginormous. Um, it takes a lot of balls to wear those. So okay. I don't know if you guys saw that. Didn't, didn't see it. I would have liked to have seen it. I yeah. guess if you're him, like some some guys like to not be recognized when they go out in public, draw attention to themselves. Apparently, Debo not on that list. Yeah, definitely, they were definitely uh, they were they were ginormous. Uh, so the second one, uh, Jordan Hicks in spring training yesterday, a St. Louis Cardinals reliever, he threw 105 miles per hour. Wow! Uh, and that was the first time uh, since May of 2018 uh, it's when he threw 105 twice. That was the fastest track, uh, you know, since he did it five years ago himself. So pretty wild. I've yeah, when healthy, guy. he's he can be a hellacious closer. He, he's a, you know, when he came out, I thought he was going to be great. So yeah, we'll and, see. Yeah, and then uh, last one I got for you guys. Um, I know it's like kind of beating the dead horse here. Look, but this might be the final saga of Ben Simmons. He's likely not to return uh, to the Nets this season. Um, he has that nerve impingement in his back that's been giving him problems since last year. So could this be the last of Ben Simmons? Possibly. I would say no, Glenn, because, A, he's got a whole bunch of money left on his contract that he's not going to walk away from. But could we have another season where Ben Simmons' return date unknown uh, all, for all next year again? That wouldn't surprise me in the least. Let me phrase it a different way. I'll ask both of you guys. Will Ben Simmons ever ever be relevant again? Will he ever matter in the NBA again? Jody? I would bet against it. Francisco? Yeah, absolutely not. Right. He's going to be one of the all-time disappointments, you know, years from now, 30 for 30. You Like Ben Simmons, when he came out, was going to be all that. And it looked, when he, listen, when he started with the Sixers, it looked like it was going to happen. And it never did. Anyway, well, and, Francisco, and just, yeah, go ahead. Just let me, one last point, and I know we got to get out. Um, sometimes you pat yourself on the back. I did project this coming. Because the fact that he spent his one half year at LSU, oh, by the way, never went to class after December, uh, doing a documentary about himself the entire time, had a producer with him, a camera guy with him at all times, that you knew this guy was going to be tremendously self-serving. So no one should be surprised that the drama attached to Ben Simmons. We got to go, Jody Mack. Phillies baseball is coming up next. Francisco Rojas, great job. Jody, I will see you next weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening on 94 WIP.